Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to collinslaststand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 101. Whoa. That's crazy. My, I know. It's crazy. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris. It is his destiny ray gun. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you doing during these troubled times? I'm doing okay. I'm still alive. My blood is still, you know, pacing at the right speed through my capillaries and nervous system. I'm pretty good. Cool. Nothing's happening in your neighborhood. And that's like really I haven't heard too much about Burbank. No, I there there have been protests here, I think, uh, every day. But it's it's been pretty it's been pretty peaceful. Cool. No, no crazy, you know, insane shenanigans. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. People out there protesting, getting their First Amendment on. Have no yeah. problem with that. It's been largely the same in Richmond here in Virginia, although there's been some violence and some rioting, some burning things down, cop cars burned. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that's happened here in Richmond is actually so there's a thing called Monument Avenue or Monument Row here in R- Richmond, which is which are with the ex- a couple exceptions, all Confederate generals. Uh, yeah. Statue, massive statues. And anyone that's seen pictures of this, it's like a, one of the most beautiful parts of R- Richmond. And at like every intersection is like a massive statue of like Stonewall Jackson or even Jefferson Davis or whatever. Yeah. And those have been all defaced as well. I have no problem with us removing these Confederate monuments, by the way. I think they're weird. I think it's weird that these things exist. Richmond Richmond was the capital of the Confederacy, of course. Yeah. But I, I have no problem with their removal, but hopefully we can like bring them to some sort of Confederate Confederacy Civil War Museum or something. That would be preferable. But yeah, that's yeah. about as uh, violent as it's gotten here. Some fires. Some looting, yeah, etc. But I, I saw somebody wearing a Sonic shirt, I believe, on purpose, and that's probably the most violence that I've seen. Which is, in in fairness, pretty damn violent. Uh, it is. To it me. is violent. That is violent. We'll talk a little bit about Sonic later on. Unfortunately, oh God, no. Oh, I'm I'm just I was just googling about this. Richmond is taking down Confederate statues. Oh, so there you go. Okay, well there you go. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Yeah. I, when I used to come down here, so my sisters lived here for 20 years. And so I used to come down here over the summer and hang out with them. And I was I always thought it was weird that those were there. Even when I was like in high school, I was like, this is yeah, really that's, weird. That's, so that's, yeah, because when I was it's interesting because when I was like younger, I thought like, ah, you know, it's just it's history. What's the why not just leave it? But then like I, I can't remember who said it to me, but it was like, w- wouldn't it be weird if you had like. <laughs> if you had like a like a Nazi memorial in Germany, like it'd be, that'd be pretty weird. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I hadn't considered that necessarily. Yeah, but. I mean, I don't, I don't find that moral equivalency too far off. So it's, it's definitely. I mean, it, it is different, but it's still like it. You know, eh. maybe. Dope, I mean, maybe it is, dope. it is different. It is different. I mean, the the Nazis, in terms of body count, were way worse than yeah. the confederates but the confederates didn't have a righteous goal in mind at all for anybody and so yeah i have no problem with that so yeah that's about as much as been that's been going on down here but i've been just trying to pay attention uh read watch listen 
before I crossed the street. And yeah, so that's all that's basically been going on. We'll talk a little bit more about all of this in a moment because it has something to do with PlayStation 5, obviously. But just to welcome everyone to our show, our weekly PlayStation podcast, Sacred Symbols. Remember, you can get the show three days early and ad free by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where you can also submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to our show. We always read many of those each week. You can get early. I'm sorry, I already said the early ad free access thing. You can get exclusive access to Sacred Symbols Plus, which is our supplemental podcast that we do each week only for patrons. Last week was all about PS5 predictions. But of course, that event is delayed. We'll talk about that just momentarily. And you can even get your name in the credits You can get exclusive Q&As and much more. We really appreciate your support there. Thank you so much. Collins Last Stand's Patreon is now the biggest nerd culture and video game related Patreon in the world. Oh, that's cool. That's that's wild. And uh, we could not do that, obviously, without shifting around here like a fucking maniac. I got this like (laughs) pillow underneath me like I'm an old person. You know how old people have like pillows on their chairs? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm doing right now. So anyway, yeah, we couldn't do it without them, Chris. And we thank you all for that. We hope you get a lot of value out of your subscription. We'd love to have you over there. We continue to do the show because we can, thanks to your financial support. So thank you again for that. Much love, much kindness, especially because it is such an economically trying time for many people. Now, the PlayStation 5 event was supposed to happen. This was supposed to be what the episode was all about. Yeah. But the event was delayed And here's what PlayStation had to say about that. Just very briefly, quote, we have decided to postpone the PlayStation 5 event scheduled for June 4th. While we understand gamers worldwide are excited to see PS5 games, we do not feel that right now is is a time for celebration. And for now, we want to stand back and allow more important voices to be heard. And quote, not too offensive, I don't think. No, it's pretty classy, Uh, I think. I think so, too. Uh, Hunter Holiday wrote in and said, I'll keep it short, C-Man. What's your opinion on Sony postponing the PlayStation 5 game reveal? Personally, I think that it's good to keep all attention in the right place, but I can't help but think that it's a PR move. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are that it's both. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering what you think about it, Chris. Well, I mean, every move is a is a PR move if you're a mm. if you're a major company with a lot of eyes on you. Like n- no move is made without wondering about how people can perceive things. It's actually a miracle that things happen that are perceived so poorly in the first place given how much attention is delegated to pr so yeah of course this is a pr move but it's also a smart move you don't necessarily want to be that guy who's coming out in the middle of you know nationwide civil unrest with you know some you know bullshit about like a a video game to be honest like it just it seems on the broader spectrum it just seems kind of like short-sighted to just plow through a pretty historic time for a pretty easily delayable thing yeah it's exciting for us right i mean we love playstation we are excited as we as everyone else in this show is to see more ps5 games but it would come off as really tone deaf it in the context of world events it it is pretty trivial i i think that there is an argument to be made it's like well what about covid like it was you know coronavirus was fucking everything up and is fucking everything up and they were gonna plow right through that but that's also not really true because we hear from sources that Sony was trying to do things earlier in the year and had to delay those as well. I mean, it's unfortunate for them as a corporate entity that they just keep getting fucked. But <laughs> that's just the nature of 2020. And so I think it's a wise move. I think it's a, a moral move, yeah. a responsible move. And it is definitely a PR move. And to that point, we actually got another letter. Jonathan Parrish wrote in, said, hey, guys, I hope this inquiry finds you well. 
What do you think of all these gaming companies and personalities putting their political foot forward in regards to the protests? While several journalists have come out and basically defended the actions of the rioters and looters, Antifa or otherwise, that is to be expected since they are mostly left wing. I guess I'm more so referring to the companies themselves. They all seem to be putting messages out there to simply protect their image, but yet stay quiet on other political issues like the Hong Kong fiasco not too long ago. I'm looking at you, Activision Blizzard. Some are choosing to even donate money to organizations that are posting bail for the rioters and looters, but have said nothing about perhaps helping the small businesses that have been destroyed or the families of the cops or protesters, etc., that have been killed or injured during all these riots. So overall, I guess my question is, am I being too cynical? Is it all just virtue signaling? Should these developers and publishers also commit to help the other innocent lives that have been affected by these riots, such as the cops shot in the head in Las Vegas or the small businesses in Minneapolis? Thanks and stay safe. Thank you, Jonathan, for your thoughtful inquiry. Mm-hmm. Chris, what do you think about this? Because I do have a I think this is a the this is an entity by entity situation. I don't need to see Activision Blizzard. I especially don't need to see companies like Riot saying a goddamn thing yeah. about what's going on here when they choose to stay largely quiet about incredibly egregious shit going on in China, including the existence of Muslim concentration camps, as we all know, and first forced work camps. The fee and even Star Wars, where they change the poster so that um, what's that actor's uh, name? John Boyega, guy. yeah, yeah, John Boyega. So he's like more in the background than he was in the uh, Force Awakens poster here in the West, etc. Because they there is a, a racist tendency over there too, or at least they're afraid of of marketing that sort of thing there. So it it seems hollow to me. I think it's con- it's consistent if a brand has always had something to say about issues of public import, but I don't. I really don't like seeing riot activision blizzard star wars and disney and all these companies that have really no business talking about this stuff yeah uh saying what what do you think i feel largely similar like i'm fine with most developers doing it i'm fine with anybody doing it really honestly like it's it's a it's a company and they make a decision they're free to make that decision i know bungie in particular has always like raised a lot of money for causes i I remember this being like a thing way back when i was a kid and like checking the bungie forums and being like hey there's a new fundraiser for this thing so in their case, like, and other cases like it, it's like, yeah, good. That's that's great. I love it when people feel comfortable enough to use their platforms to speak for the th- speak out for the things that they care about. But when you're like Activision, <laughs> yeah, d- don't say anything. Like, it, that's insane. You you were, I guess they think that people just forgot <laughs> because everybody's been so racked by the plague and all this this civil unrest. But it's like, no, dude, we remember like. Everybody remembers what you did and how you totally deplatformed somebody because they said the most trivial shit. Yeah, I, I, it it wasn't even that long ago. I think people can change, entities can change, situations change. I mean, famously, Mitsubishi made the the engines for the zeros that bombed Pearl Harbor, right? And yeah. BMW and BMW and Volkswagen and and uh, Mercedes Benz were all complicit companies in Nazi Germany. But times change, situations change, the people working at these companies change, the directions change, the cultures change, whatever the case might be. We can't hold these things to account necessarily forever. I mean, even IBM, there's a there's a famous book about IBM's work on concentration camp, like computing, basically, for Nazi Germany. Over time, things change and that's fine. But I just think that these these situations were so recent and are so hypocritical in comparison to the fight for freedom here and justice while being complicit and silent for what's going on in Hong Kong or what's going on in Western China with the uh, concentration camp. So that, that's my that's my basic 
stand with it, but I have no problem with people being active, entities being active in politics. I have a political point of view. Chris has a political point of view. They're not really the same political points of view, by the way. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. I guess I am Collins last stand. So I guess that my political point of view is the prevailing political point of view of my company. But I, I feel like it's fine to have those points of view as long as you welcome in reason and and thoughtfulness and all of that. And that's kind of the basics of it for me, because I've been on Twitch, uh, Long Island Viper is my name on Twitch, and I've been doing these pretty long streams, a few streams talking about this stuff in depth while playing the Division two or Dead Nation, which I think is funny. <laughs> and uh, we I want to I want to come to some sort of conclusion. I want to put ideas out there and challenge people. I do think it's really kind of lame to see all of these companies just like make the same statement with the same font over the same black background and white text and all that. It is pretty tired, but there are some companies that have done really good work. And I I think it's important to have some sort of voice. I think that's kind of what capitalism is all about. It shouldn't just be about making money no matter what, although that's the end goal of capitalism. I think it should be some sort of there should there should be a level of activism there if you want there to be. And so I don't I don't it is virtue signaling, but I think it's virtue signaling. That's understandable. They, they might be afraid of some of these mobs and the, the cost they'll pay for not saying anything. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think most of them would have, or prefer maybe to say nothing, but that they're con- that they're convinced to say something, I think, is not necessarily a negative. Yeah. yeah. But I'll just continue to reiterate my want for peace, nonviolence, justice, equity for everybody. I think that hopefully we can all agree on that. Rares Kontratov. You sound that sounds like a Metal Gear Solid, like a Russian separatist. <laughs> it does. Metal Gear Solid name. Hey CNC, how long do you think Sony can afford to delay the PS5 event? As of the time of writing this, it seems that the protests are only getting worse and will seemingly continue till something major happens, like Trump resigning, which is obviously never going to happen. At what point does Sony just say fuck it and start promoting the console? Uh, console. Stay safe, guys, and let's hope that all this chaos will soon stop and that justice will be served. Amen. How long do you think they can afford to put this off, Chris? I don't know. Like, wasn't there already like an idea that there was is there no date official for the for the re for the for the postponing? No, they they haven't said anything at the time we're recording this. We're recording this the night of June 4th. Mm. So a few hours after the event was supposed to take place, there is no uh, date. They did say in their YouTube video or they did put in their YouTube, I guess there's like a trailer for it and they did put in the YouTube description They'll have something to say soon, whatever that I means. would I would imagine no later. I, I wouldn't expect them to push it out of the month. I don't expect them to be like, hey, it's in July now. Like I, I would expect maybe. Maybe the middle of June, you know, like June 15th, June 17th, something like that, like in that date range. Uh, it would be kind of shocking if they went like into the 20s to me. Like I, w- I would be kind of confused. If they if they did. Yeah. That. I agree. And I am sympathetic to this argument that like you you got to kind of do this at some point. I understand not doing it right this moment, but I think even delaying and just saying like we'll do it in a week would have been appropriate and fine. I, I would be surprised if this goes. I agree with you. This goes into the 20s. I would be super surprised about that because then you're starting to overlap with The Last of Us Part 2, which comes out on June 19th. Then if you wait much longer, then we're in Ghost of Tsushima territory. I really think that this thing's going to happen in the next from when we're recording this in the next 10 days. So by the time I move into my house, I'm closing on my house on the 15th. So I think that it'll happen by that point. Remember that they announced the event and only and had less than a week in between the announcement and when it was going to happen. So they can do that again pretty easily. Yeah. 
Chris, the other thing I wanted to talk about, this has to do with Sacred Symbols Plus coming this week, which you're going to do uh, a Bungie event for Destiny 2. Uh, the future of Destiny 2 arrives, they said on Twitter. That is on June 9th. So Sacred Symbols Plus is going to be a little late so we can accommodate that, accommodate that just like it was a little early. Yeah. Uh, the week before. So we're going to have Chris sit down and do that and talk about the game. I think that's important to do. I want to do more game centric Sacred Symbols Plus episodes. John Labuda wrote into us on Patreon and said, hey, CNC, Bungie seems to be teasing a big fall Destiny release and possibly a big in-game event in the next week or two. What are your thoughts, especially Chris? I'll let Chris just take this on <laughs> Destiny in 2020. Have you kept up with the current sunsetting controversies, seasonal model, etc.? I'd be curious to hear your current thoughts on Destiny as a franchise. Keep making random days of the week better. Well, Chris, take it away. What do you think about this announcement and all the other things you talked about that I don't know? Anything about? <laughs> yeah. So me and me and my roommates are pretty excited about it. Uh, I've always really enjoyed Destiny, even as a as a game that's had a lot of you know stumbles along the way. I think this particular season has been pretty not the best. Uh, there were a lot of balancing issues. Obviously, auto rifles were like a mess early on, and then they they nerfed it, and then they 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 did a lot of weird. They made a lot of questionable changes to the sandboxes, and the seasonal model hasn't been showing its showing its true showing its value this season with uh, the with the pve stuff especially uh, has been really lacking but i think this is kind of the general this is kind of the motions whenever a new expansion for destiny is going to launch it, it's kind of accepted and kind of understood by the community at this point that the seasons leading in to the to the next big expansion are always the ones that are kind of like eh, not the best uh, because it's assumed that a lot of the work is going to this into the big fall expansion which by the way if they were still with Activision would be Destiny 3 like this would be a, a full on new game so there's a pretty good reason to be excited because it seems like there's going to be a pretty hefty amount of content here that I think players are going to be really excited about I know the narrative is starting to heat up to a boiling point where we're starting to actually see some we're starting to actually see the the teases from all the previous years like add up into something tangible and i'm pretty excited about it uh, i'm looking forward to the event I'm, I'm very optimistic about it there seems to be a bit of a confluence here for you as a gamer because you're getting your destiny news and halo news has to be somewhat imminent so yeah you're getting some good stuff for you right now now i have to ask i've asked you this in the past not too long ago but there is this sort of gravity with Destiny with me, with I guess with Destiny 2 particularly, where I kind of want to try it out, but I don't want to play with anyone. Is it reasonable to do that? Uh, is it a game that you can play by yourself? I know it is a game you can play by yourself, but is it reasonable to enjoy it by oneself? We'll talk about The Division in a little while, and I think The Division is awesome by yourself. Hmm. So I'm wondering if if it's if it's a similar thing or if I should just stay away. I feel like if you if you like FPS, I think there is stuff there. But I would say that it is very, very cooperative. Like, even if you don't want to play by yourself, there are like the strikes, which are like the PVE playlists and stuff like that. That is where, you know, a solo player goes. But they're always going to be like by themselves with two other people who are on their team, whether they like it or not. So I, I would probably say that it's not necessarily a game that lends itself well to solo play. You can play it without needing to interact with anybody but it is it is primarily like a very team oriented thing but i would also say that it's a really solid first person shooter and i think on those grounds you'd probably enjoy it it's free i think so 
you could just give it a shot for like a little bit. I think I might. Oh, I think I might even own it. I don't know. I think I might have bought it at some point. I don't I don't I don't know. Now, do, does anyone play the original Destiny at all anymore? Or is that just dead? People still play it. Yeah, I was actually oh, I played it the okay. other day, actually, out of, out of sheer curiosity, because I was I was feeling nostalgic about because this season, like I said, has been kind of hit or miss. It's been like pretty, pretty low on content, pretty, pretty laxed on a lot of the stuff that we're used to. And also just like the sandbox has been completely messed up like certain weapons that used to be reliable or just aren't and certain weapons are really dominating so you just only run into them if you're doing pvp and stuff so i i checked out d1 a little bit there are definitely fewer people playing but it's it's still it's still kicking somehow it's actually kind of wild yeah it's interesting yeah that came out in what 2014 yeah so damn yeah pretty pretty old game by multiplayer standards all right, so we'll let Chris loose by himself next week on Sacred Symbols Plus to talk about all this new Destiny content for Destiny 2 and the so-called future of Destiny 2 as it so-called arrives. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris, before we get any further, I should say that Twin Breaker, our game, we've been promoting it ever since it came out in March. It is obviously out on PS4 and Vita digitally, so go buy it and check it out. But uh, the the uh, hard copies of the game are shipping and a lot of people are getting them. I haven't even gotten mine yet, so don't get too upset if you haven't gotten them. Yeah, me neither. But we, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll send you. Did you order it? No. <laughs> oh, okay. I was gonna say because I got you. A, I got you a copy, so you don't need to do that. But yeah. But uh, the the damn broke at some point today because I'm just getting like a shit ton of messages now of people receiving it. So something happened where it crossed customs or something like that out of Asia. Oh, that's good. So thank you everyone for supporting that. Obviously the. The uh, physical copies are all spoken for, but you can get an unlimited amount of digital copies if you'd like to support us over there. All right, Chris, there are a few or a couple of people that want to talk to you about some stuff you've said in the last week Uh on episode 100. Nothing bad. Yeah. yeah. But but let's talk a little bit about it here. Alex Reed wrote into us and said, hey, folks, just wanted to offer a reply to Chris's somewhat downbeat impression of current gen multiplayer games. While I do agree we have gone beyond a nostalgic golden era of shit talking in public lobbies and that unlock progressions remain supreme, the strength of this generation's multiplayer offerings is in its sheer volume and depth. Siege is a phenomenal game that I've sunk hundreds of hours into. Modern Warfare, while derided by the pros, has reinvigorated the casual multiplayer audience. Destiny has introduced many console players to the systems of the MMO. Battle Royale games have taken the world by storm. While they're not on PS4, Dota, League of Legends, and Counter-Strike Global Offensive are some of the most popular games of this moment. The total expanse of multiplayer offerings across every platform boggles the mind, each with their own metas, communities, and genre. I think we have lost a kind of monoculture in multiplayer gaming, but in exchange, we've gotten such a vast quantity of multiplayer games that despite your preference in community, genre, or platform, the depth of multiplayer offerings has never been better. What do you think about what Alex has to say here? Because you were a little downbeat, like you said, about the current status of multiplayer games, which is an uh, an opinion you're certainly entitled to. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think I even said last time that it doesn't mean that there's no merit to be found. Like, I love Destiny. Like, me and my roommates play it all the time. It's it's definitely, like, the closest that I've gotten to experiencing some of the more classic golden era uh, console multiplayer uh, environments that that I, I miss. It's not to say that these games aren't good or don't offer something that's really special. It's just that I feel like it used to be a little bit more about the game. And now it's more about just kind of stringing you along with an experience that it's promising you. And I just feel like I, the, the problem with a lot of multiplayer games lately is I feel like I'm being sold something as I'm playing it. 
the the loot box system that was like prevalent in so many games for a for a, a decent amount of time the the microtransactions the the fresh content all the time that like that sounds ideal that sounds really good and i guess it is because you're getting like a proper evolving thing that doesn't stagnate over time but in that i feel like it leads to things losing that comfortable familiarity that things used to have like i can still jump back into my favorite multiplayer games of the 2010s or the or the or the early 2010s or like the late 2000s and that experience is still intact like it's not i don't jump into those experience and i'm disappointed at how things have changed or i'm disappointed that like oh it's not like i remember it no it's exactly how i remember it and i love that whereas like now i feel like oh my god i can go back to destiny like a week from now and nothing is the same. And suddenly, like, the thing that I enjoyed playing all the time is now, like, the least interesting part of the game. Like, that happened this past season in Destiny. Uh, the This new season of Destiny was so bad with PvP specifically because everyone was using the same stuff because of the sandbox changes that they used. And also, PvE was really bad because the new activity for PvE was just this really repetitive grind that was just not really re- rewarding. And it's like... I almost would have preferred no changes at all and just had the experience that I enjoyed preserved. Uh, whereas, like, I don't know, I, I just feel like there was there's something too reliable to a reliable framework. There's something beautiful about something that doesn't stagnate, but preserves. And that's the kind of thing that I feel like is is really missing because there's so many games that focus on becoming your job and becoming like a new and exciting thing all the time and it just doesn't make room for new games i would agree like um i would agree that siege is is great i haven't played it but like i would assume like i for me to assume that that game is terrible is like insane because so many people highly regard it Uh, i would say that dota dota league of legends and counter-strike global offensive are are pretty old and i would argue are from that era that i'm talking about but that yeah no i i wasn't saying it as like there's no merit to the new ecosystem. I think there's a lot of merit. I just think that there was something special about the previous one. Well, I think you're right in the sense that, and it's certainly what turns me off from even bothering with multiplayer games anymore at all, as opposed to just usually never, is they do seem like they're jobs. And as a gamer, I guess I'm just not very attracted to playing the same game ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. It's just not exciting to me. I think that that's fine if that's what people want to do. I know that there are people that literally only play World of Warcraft or only play League of Legends or whatever, but that's not that sounds horrible to me. Not because the games themselves are horrible, but because variety is the spice of life, man. And I need a little bit of that for me to continue to play games. If I was just going to be stuck in these ruts for sure, then it wouldn't really be that enjoyable for me, which is why. I guess I've never taken to some of these games to begin with, because I think they're they are inherently repetitive. I just need I, as a gamer, personally, I just feel the need to move on yeah. to the next thing at some point. But that's the thing. Like, imagine if you like what's a game that you adore, like from from long ago, just like name one. From long ago, uh, Symphony of the Night. Imagine if you popped in Symphony of the Night of the Night again and it's completely different. You know what I mean? Where it's yeah. just like you'd be like, what? What? Even if they're good changes, I feel like mm. I would like I would be furious if I like cha- went into my old games. And like shit was different in like a weird way that like made it so like my my experience of the game is like fundamentally different. Like I just I really don't like it. I like having something that's reliable. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's very well said. Uh, but that's, I think, part of the beauty of video games generally is just that there's not only something for everyone, but like uh, as much of a job is there. there there's a, you can work at these games, let's say, as much as you want. Yeah. So you can play a new game every day. Yeah, totally. PSN, or you can, or you can like live the Destiny Two life forever. Well, there's but more than enough games. Just, there's just so, there's more than yeah. enough games that you don't need one game to to con- continuously be the the new game. Like I, it's just I remember feeling I remember feeling so weird when I just felt like I was the only person left who played multiplayer video games because they were fun and not because I expected new shit all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, the like the loot and the yeah, the like I don't, I don't care about that, it. Like yeah. my my roommates are telling me like, yo, you got to get this gun. That's it's not going to be available after this season. I'm just like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm playing the game because I think the combat loop is really satisfying and no game is like even just beyond the fact that if you took the changes of the game out of out of out of it entirely, if you never updated the game again, every multiplayer game that you play in that game is not going to be the same as the previous one because it's designed really well. And the sandbox is really strong and the, the gameplay loop is really satisfying and really diverse. So I don't feel the need to have this new shiny thing dangled in front of me all the time. I just find it nauseating because I just feel like I'm being advertised to. Yeah, it's true. And I think that they're splitting up uh, smaller and smaller pieces of the pie that are eventually going to deconstruct a lot of these games. Yeah. Which is why I think something like Borderlands 3 is so tantalizing because it's it's really very playable by itself. Yeah. While it still has this this long running multiplayer centric thing that a lot of people really enjoy. And if I, I think that that's the perfect way to make some of these games, because yeah. I just I don't know that the pie is getting any bigger. Yeah, he said he said that. I mean, I know it is monetarily, but people are just splitting up between games because what did Alex say here? I can't find it, but I just don't know that the the player base is getting bigger commensurate to the amount of games getting more voluminous compared to the pieces of the pie getting more or bigger for enough for everyone to be able to yeah, eat. Yeah, it's, it's the same I'm amount saying. of water in, in different cups, basically. Right. And I, so I don't think that benefits anyone. I think that actually is going to eventually revert back to the mean, which means that a lot of games are going to become the same. Yeah. And I think we've already seen that, actually. And I, so. I mean, I, I like the I, I like Destiny 2 specifically because it's the only game that I can afford to give this amount of time to. You know what I mean? Like this, I have no room for anything else that's like this if a new game comes around that's like this that requires me to put all this time into it i'm, I'm not gonna do it my friends are already on destiny that's where i've put all my time into i'm not going anywhere else if you have like a normal proper multiplayer game that doesn't feel like it needs to be a job i'll jump on absolutely but everything else is right just on. daunting to me right on right on all right john arola wrote into us and said hey cnc just wanted to give a quick follow-up tidbit about the shadow of the colossus Rain over me discussion from episode 100. Shadow of the Colossus actually plays a pretty major role in the film, being mentioned multiple times and acting as a not so subtle metaphor for Adam Sandler's character, who recently lost his entire family during the attacks of September 11th and has since become a recluse. Now he spends most of his time wandering the empty valley, fighting his internal demons and playing the game over and over again. I won't spoil the entire plot here, but just wanted to mention that while I agree in most cases, TV and film use video games in a totally outrageous or comical way, this film got it right, in my opinion. As myself, and I'm sure many of your listeners have used our favorite medium to escape during depressing times. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for all that you do and keep up the great work. So that was just based on what we were talking about. We got a few letters about yeah, that. Yeah. So I wanted to. I, I, yeah, I haven't seen the movie, really. But I, I remember thinking it was like really jarring to see Adam Sandler in a serious role. Also next to like the actor that he was next to and also playing Shadow of the Colossus. It was just like, what? 
Like, what am I seeing? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I've not seen it. So I didn't even know it was about September 11th. So there you go. Yeah. Parik Devereaux wrote into us and said, men, if you had to pick one, which game would world would you live in as an NPC? Which game world would you live in? Oh, my as an God. NPC? I would. Is there anything? I would anything be. Come to mind for you? I would be a child in Skyrim. <laughs> because they can, you can't kill them. Yeah, that's true. They're immortal. They're in, they're immortal. They just get to they get to walk up to the strongest person probably on on the on the uh, are, are they on Earth? No, they're on like some planet, right? Yeah, it's I think like a different world. Ah, whatever. But I think all of the different like Skyrim is like a territory. Yeah, yeah, I it's like a province yeah. or something. Right. Yeah, but the, the, like they can just walk up to like the hero and just berate him. Like they could just say like, "Oh, you're a you're a stupid little twat, aren't you?" And and just and what that's more like a fable thing, but he he could just walk yeah. away and berate the strongest person on the uh, in your territory, and it's like what? That's so strong. The kids are the strongest people in Skyrim, because the it's strongest person in Skyrim can't hurt them. That's a really really solid point. I always was a little annoyed in the Bethesda games that you couldn't like kill the kids. It's like what? What? Like why not? If I want to do that. This game is supposed to be about agency. I think I think they do it because they don't want to have like a Fox News, you know, like that Mass Effect thing back in the day. They don't want like a Fox News. Uh, yeah, probably not. Oh, my God. Expose on how you can kill children in you yeah. know, Elder Scrolls six. They used to do that a lot, but I, I don't know. Like I, I you can do it on PC, though. You can mod it in, <laughs> which is wonderful. <laughs> I'm glad someone took the time to do that. NPCs, which which world would I live in? As an NPC, I could see I could see you being a slime of some kind, but like a main, oh, and, but like a main character slime, like one that talks in Dragon Quest. Yeah, I'll take that. That's fine. Yeah, the the Dragon Quest world is a little weird, isn't it? So, yeah, let's go. Let's go with that. I'll take that. Would you That's want? Would answer. you want to be a lips instead? A lip? Oh my! <laughs> yes, I would. The things I would do with those lips. If people don't know the <laughs> lips Dragon Quest enemy, just go Google that and fall down that fucking disastrous rabbit hole napoleon and rags wrote in and said i've been wondering what's the greatest invention of all time the wheel or light bulb any others come to mind peace this is an interesting question i don't know <laughs> this sounds so ignorant it really is ignorant i've never really understood why the wheel was so important like so important <laughs> do and do not write do not write into me about this because i i know I'm, I'm i have even an article up right now from live science about it so I get they say here the stroke of brilliance was the wheel and axle concept, but then making it was also difficult. So obviously this is for like transportation and stuff like that. But it was just always so interesting to me. Like you don't have to reinvent the wheel and the wheels always looked at as like this vital thing. And I get that. But I just feel like in the course of human history, there are definitely bigger inventions than the wheel. I don't, I don't know if there is. Because like the wheel is is first of all it's all transportation like literally like cars trains pl planes mm. everything mm. it's also a lot of how like engines run in general is like wheels on like axles spinning and like it, gears are essentially the same concept it's actually super yeah, I guess you're right it's actually That's wildly okay. wildly important yeah. Because uh, my mind, when, when I was reading his question, came, uh, came immediately to the printing press, right? which was important to the, the prevalence of education and literacy and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, you make a good case for the wheel. I know that it's like, I, I'm not an anthropologist. I, I know people make a good case for, for the wheel, but I just felt like, because I was looking things up here, like the greatest on 
OSU's e-history website, the Ohio State University, they have the printing press at number. This is for the last thousand years. The printing press at number one, and then the light at number two. So those are the two things he. Or no, he brought up light and wheel. Then the automobile, the telephone, radio and television, vaccination, computer, airplane, gas-powered tractor, which makes sense, and then anesthesia. Hmm. So those are the top ten according to the Ohio State University. Do they even count the wheel? Is interesting because like you just you can't you don't know who invented it because it's so prehistoric. So maybe people don't even really qualify it as like an invention invention. You know, they, they obviously it's like a human invention, but like it's not one that you could trace back to a person. It's not like Scott Moo Moo Mimu was the was like <laughs> is like credited with the with the with the invention of the wheel. Yeah, I think it just kind of came up. Remember those old commercials for like, you know, the invention things that you'd see during daytime TV where it was like the you can send in your invention and these people will like help you get it certified by the government or whatever and then the the animation was a caveman making a wheel do you know what i'm talking about yeah i think i know what you're talking about somehow yeah it's like an old commercial this is a very feverish a feverish memory that you've just planted in my head indeed oh the internal combustion engine yeah that's a good one new incognito window is probably probably up there oh my god definitely no one has any idea what i'm doing because of that the internet of course computers generally the microchip yeah all right well, thank you for that. And then let's see. Matt Council wrote in, said, hey, fellas. So the other day I asked my wife to pick up some Pop-Tarts at the store. When I later went for a snack, I discovered she had brought home some unfrosted Pop-Tarts. When I asked her about this, she seemed to think this was reasonable. Indeed, possibly the default version of Pop-Tarts to buy. This is some straight serial killer shit. I ask you, gentlemen, is it ever acceptable to buy unfrosted Pop-Tarts? How is this a thing? <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys. You remain a welcome bright spot in an increasingly disturbing world. Now, Chris. I left this formatted the exact same way he sent it in. Uh-huh. And he says that it's psycho or it's serial killer shit. Now, what about his formatting is also serial killer shit? Can you see it? Uh, no, I wasn't paying attention to the formatting. It's uh, he uses double spaces in between his sentences, which I hate. Oh, right. That is also in the modern era, Matt, serial killer shit. I hate it. That's a typewriter era thing. A types fitting <laughs> typeset thing. I hate when people do that. But I think it is also serial killer shit to buy unfrosted Pop Tarts. Yes. I remember them being a thing. I don't is it like is the idea that they're supposed to be like moderately more healthy if they don't have a, a layer of sugar on top of them? I don't know. Is it like a communion wafer thing where it's like, mmm, bland? You know, I like hope not. maybe that's a th- I, I don't know. I've never I've straight up never even seen this. I didn't know that this yeah, was. A, I, I didn't know this was a thing. I've never a, happened across it in my voyages to Vons or Ralphs or a, any place that sells these damn things. This is a jarring revelation for me. I understand what you're saying. I don't know that I've ever bought them. I've seen them. I know what they look like. But I'm actually a pretty big fan of Pop Tarts. I don't buy them because they're really bad for you, and I have to draw the line somewhere. But I love raspberry Pop Tarts, which are pretty rare. Those are the ones with the. Uh, the white frosting, but only red sprinkles on them. And then uh, yeah. also the strawberry, the classic strawberry Pop-Tart with the uh, colored sprinkles on them. Just absolutely phenomenal. I always now, liked uh, the blueberry. Yeah. One. You like the blueberry? Yeah. Now, do you toast them? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. I, I, I'd say probably like 50-50. Like sometimes I'll grab them out of the box and just eat them. But like they, I feel like they are more satisfying when you when you toast them. Definitely. But I do like that it's it's one of those foods that you have the option, which I enjoy. Yeah. About the, the Pop-Tart. Pop-Tart's fantastic. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chris, let's get into what we're playing. You're playing nothing still. You're still busy moving and getting all your things together. Yeah, putting everything in boxes so I don't have to deal with it on the, on the day. Yeah, you're, it's coming up pretty quick, huh? Yeah. Well, good luck to you. Not a, not a great time to be moving, probably, through the <laughs> no. streets of L.A. Not idea. Maybe you'll get all your shit ransacked. It's going to be like when you in like a, a Saxon community, when you're like going from city wall to city <laughs> wall, you never know what highway man's going to come and steal your shit. Yeah, I'm going to put all the stuff that I don't want in like a unguarded uh, U-Haul. Get ready. Yeah, like, yeah, have a little bit of a diversion and then sneak through. Yeah. Not too bad. All right. I understand that. I'm going to be in the same boat in, in the next two weeks, probably. But for now, I've been playing a few things. So first of all, I'm playing Mass Effect on PS3. Oh, God. And I'm going to do an episode about that with Dagan of Knockback next week. I got to say that and I'll, I'll go into this more deeply and I've not gotten very far in the game. I haven't played it in a long time, but it really doesn't hold up very well. The f- yeah, this, fir- this first Mass Effect game, which is weird because that was always the one I defended as being like the most RPG like, which I liked. like you get experience points for everything oh yeah no it, it definitely is the most rpg like like uh, the next two stepped it down quite a bit as far as that goes but th- the first one i even remember at the time like in 2007 yeah it's 2007 2007 yeah. i got it in 2008 but i remember even at the time i was like this is uh this is fucking terrible. <laughs> and that was that was that was before I really like understood even really what an RPG was. Like I, I never really played RPGs before like I think like twenty ten was like really when I started like diving into that genre actually. So even back then I was like, Yeah, this doesn't this doesn't feel good to play at all. Yeah, Mass Effect I love the the world, the the worlds, the universe. I love the story, I love the lore, it's really deep. But I can't stand watching or listening to Shepard just being like, tell me more about the Protheans. Tell me more about the Geth. Tell me more about the Citadel. Tell me more about the Spectres. It's like, Jesus Christ, was this really like the game that I was going on and on about for years? I just think we've come a lot further, but it's I was like really looking forward to playing it. And I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I always loved Mass Effect 2 and 3 a lot, too. But I always wanted them to harken back to Mass Effect because I loved the role-playing elements, but I think that the gameplay is just, it leaves a lot to be desired. It also doesn't run very well on PS3, and I was surprised that there's either the game's already been patched on the PS3 I'm playing on, or there is no patch available to it, but it's very framey. Yeah. That is a surprise, I guess. 
The other games I've been playing are, as I said earlier on Twitch, I've been playing Dead Nation and The Division 2. Dead Nation is an old housemark game from 2010. It's fucking awesome. I really, really love that game. It came to PS4 and Vita in 2014, but it originally was on PS3. It's a Sony published game. Dead Nation is phenomenal. It's a really great game. And so I was playing it on PS4 a couple of nights on Twitch, and then I was also playing it on Vita in my bed while I was watching The West Wing. So I'm kind of hitting it from both sides. I've beaten the game many times in the past, but it just felt like a game I wanted to play. And I went back to The Division 2, and I got to say, I really love that game. The Division 2 is fucking great. It's a really great game. It's yeah. fun. It feels good. It looks good. Lots of content. I'm excited to go back and I, I kind of am, have been thinking about it a lot, which doesn't happen very often to me <laughs> anymore, where I'm like, I really want to play the division right now. So that's everything I've really been spending my time with. But we did get an inquiry from a man known as Dick Whiskey <laughs> says, hey, Kalinsky and Criselda just gave you some of my colorful Canadian money. Please don't try playing Monopoly with it, because let's be honest, that game is overrated. That's not nice. Monopoly's not overrated. You're nuts. I agree. Oh, you agree with him? Yeah. Oh, I love Monopoly. Anyways, I just wanted to get an update from El Capitan himself about how that one JRPG a month is going. You crashed and burned, didn't you? I hope not. I, for one, would love to run a JRPG again, but good God, the melodramatic anime scene stabbed my brain with dull pencils, like the bridge scene from Nier Automata. I know you haven't played that one. Great game. But those who know the scene know. Or the time my ex-girlfriend made fun of me when she saw me playing Final Fantasy 13 and Snow was punching the sand after being dumped. Well, fair enough. I'm actually not that far away. So it, it's June. It's the beginning of June. This is the sixth month. I've played three JRPGs so far. So I played Dragon Quest 11, which really should count as like seven JRPGs because it's so long. <laughs> yeah. And then I played Adventures of Mana on Vita. And then I played Earthbound on SNES. So I am through March. So I'm really confident that I can. I, I'm not that far behind. I'm confident that I can keep pace here and make this happen. So don't worry about it, Dick Whiskey. I am not crashing and burning quite yet. I am not going to concede until it's over. And uh, finally, Caleb Fox says, Dear Colin and Chris, you wake up in the world of the last game you played. How screwed are you? So that would be the Division 2 for me, which is just like this world that we're living in right now. So I wouldn't be that screwed. Yeah. What about you? What's the last game you played? I'd be screwed because it's Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Oh, and I, I just yeah, I so would not know a damn thing about what the hell is going on. I'd be like, why am I so androgynous? Where? <sighs> Where is my home? Where, where is everything? What is this? What is materia? How do I use this as a human being? I, I'd be messed. I'd be a mess. Yeah, you'd also have to have awkward conversations with people on the train, and a lot yeah, of weird shit would be yeah. happening. A lot in of that, people in that world. Yeah, a, a lot of cats running around, like seemingly of narrative importance. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't with it. Oh, by the way, that, that that reminds me, the overwhelming feedback about Final Fantasy VII Remake and Sacred Symbols Plus spoiler cast is that they want us to do it. So oh. it, we'll do it, but it's going to it's going to happen later. It's not going to happen anytime soon. So I would I would look for that in July at the earliest. Yeah, but I, I hear we hear you. That was the uh, overwhelming desire of the audience. So I'm, get, I'm getting you through want. it. So good. Yeah, I got to go back to it. I, I'll sit with it after I get through Kosa Tsushima. Yeah. Later on in July. All right, let's get into the news, Chris. There are quite a few items to get through, including some important stuff about PS5. This is a long one, so stick with me here. Okay. Number one, even though the anticipated PS5 games event has been postponed, Sony has been talking about the console with different media outlets, both before and after the event's delay. For starters, in an interview with website CNET, the PlayStation brand's CEO, Jim Ryan, 
confirmed that the publisher remains, quote, on track, end quote, for a holiday 2020 launch, noting that Sony isn't only getting the console out this calendar year, but that it will be doing so globally, which is a marked difference from PS4's 2013 launch, which happened over time and didn't occur until 2014, depending on where you are in the world. Quote, right now, we're not seeing anything saying to us there's going to be problems with quantities or we won't be able to launch the way we want, end quote. It doesn't seem like they're quite ready to talk about price, however, quote, We'll try to get the price right and the value proposition right. I want to come back to that in a little while. He said later in the interview. In an interview with website Games Industry International, Ryan noted that he and his team have had to pivot back to PS4 because of what's going on this year. Quote, we realized a couple of months ago that we were going to have to spend a lot more time paying attention to the PS4 community than we had anticipated. As that community, along with everybody else in the world, went into lockdown. Ellipsis. But we are obviously principally occupied with getting ready for PS5. I think most businesses would find themselves challenged with the working from home environment. And I do think the way that the various groups within PlayStation have responded have been magnificent. There are the hardware engineers who, have, who are having to work without being able to get into China, where PS5 will be assembled. They're, that's kind of tough. The software engineers who are building these great features, who are building a great PS5 UI. Some of that can be readily done in isolation. But when it comes to putting it all together, that's not easy to do remotely. And they're doing a great job. End quote. And finally, oh, I'm sorry, and he, this quote goes on. And finally, the people who make games. We and our partners seem to be coping really well, and so we are on track. We are going to launch this holiday, and we're going to launch globally. We're really looking forward to it, and it's going to be a blast, end quote. Economically, Ryan says that gaming isn't necessarily vulnerable to economic recessions, which is good news for the brand, and that gaming may even actually pick up economic steam during downturns, as recent software and hardware sales around the industry have shown. In hypothetical terms, he talks about how 15 to 25 million PS4 gamers might move to PS5 and PS5's first couple of years on the market, perhaps tacit insight into Sony's thoughts on sales figures, though Sony wants to support PS5 for quote unquote several years after PS5 comes out. But don't count on there being first party cross-gen games, which Sony has very rarely ever done. Quote, we have always said that we believe in generations. We believe that when you go through all the trouble of creating a next-gen console, that it should include features and benefits that the previous generation does not include, and that, in our view, people should make games that can make the most of those features, end quote. Finally, a rumor on website Eurogamer notes that although PS5 will have its own games, it'll still be working with PS4 games, which we already knew. What we didn't know, however, is that reported mandate from Sony to all internal and external developers that any game that comes to PS4 on or after July 13th must work out of the box with PlayStation 5. So there's quite a bit to get through there. I want to go back, Chris, to this quote. He says, we'll try to get the price right and value proposition right. We'll try. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that seems to be a pretty intentional verbiage? I'm wondering what you think if there's anything there. I think that means like I, I believe I said this before, but like I think that shows that they're waiting. They're waiting to have somebody else go first as far as price goes like that that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound to me like people who know what the price is going to be and this late into the year of the launch of your new machine is probably not ideal uh granted e even with all the stuff going on i think that means they're still trying to figure things out and they're probably still waiting for microsoft to kind of spill the beans first and i, I think they're kind of expecting that in part because they've been first with everything so far. Yeah, I think that the rumors out of Bloomberg, as we've said many times, they've been writing a lot about the PS5, is that they're they are waiting to react to what Xbox is going to do, which I think is wise. But I still think the five hundred dollar price point is going to be the price because the cost of manufacture apparently is four fifty or so. So that would give them a nice little profit cushion. But I just think the verbiage out of Jim Ryan is weird. We'll try to get the price right and value proposition right. 
these kinds of conversations don't come in, don't just happen randomly. He's PR prepared. He is very well prepared for these questions and what he's going to say. So I thought it was weird that he just didn't say, we're going to get the price right and value proposition right. Why wouldn't you just say that? We'll try to get the price right and value proposition right. This is a really extensive series of articles that I was reading. And that's the that's one of the things that stuck out to me amongst thousands of words. Where I was like, you'll try. <laughs> The fuck does that mean? It means like it means it's going to be in an expensive machine in a time when people don't have a lot of money and they can't they can't promise that it's going to be satisfactory to a lot of people. You're probably right. And then he talks a little bit again about kind of refocusing on the PS4 community, which is good because people are going to stick around on PS4 and are playing quite a bit of it, obviously. And then he talks about the ps5 ui team and the ps5 hardware team and the engineers all kind of working together the game makers are all working together the thing he says here uh he talks i I didn't quote it verbatim but he talks about how they expect that 15 to 25 million ps4 gamers will migrate to ps5 in the first couple years of playstation 5 which is good insight into how they think the console is going to do i guess yeah those numbers seem decently strong for the economic reality of what's going on right now although i think that they probably would have liked even better than that but 25 million i guess is nothing to really sneeze that. And that's just gamers migrating from one to the next. So you would assume they expect more. So I thought that was a little bit of insight. And then we have here that any game that comes to PS4 on or after July 13th, according to Eurogamer, must work out of the box with PlayStation 5. Okay. So not a huge surprise there as well. I think this is a lot to do with managing backwards compatibility expectations. We've already gone through all of that drama. So just a few interesting things to tide us over until we hear more about this console as we're all eager to yeah yule santana wrote into us on patreon and says hi cnc what's it going to take for you to say oh my god i need this next gen console i know you're already going to get the ps5 and or the xbox series x but i need that hype train next gen moment kind regards from puerto rico ah he's one of your people yeah so what do you do you what is it going to take for you to say oh my god i need this next gen console i am definitely getting a ps5 the day it comes out but i have not had that moment yet yeah i must say have you? Uh, no. Like, I'm obviously going to get both of these machines. I, I I love new hardware, and I feel I have a strong feeling like this is probably going to be the last new console launch proper for a while for these two specifically. Uh, so I'm, I'm in regardless, but I haven't had a moment that has made me want the new machine yet. Obviously, that has a lot to do with the fact that we haven't seen the machine. Uh, we don't know anything about the machine. We haven't seen any of the games that are going to be running on the machine. So maybe maybe that probably has something to do with it. But, you know, I, I'm i excited to see whatever the hell it is that they're going to show. And I, I hope that it's exciting. And I hope that it makes me feel excited to spend that money that I know I'm going to spend. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a premature question for sure. Maybe we would have had that moment if we had seen the PS5 games at that event, the postponed event. So I think we just got to give it a little bit more time. But yeah, I'm in either way. So they don't really have to sell me on this thing at all. It's really for other people that they're going to have to sell. I don't even know if they really have to sell many people listening to this podcast Yeah, on the PS5, whether or not you get it at launch. I'm not going to get a Series X, but we'll have Chris to rely upon for that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the next piece of news. This is an interesting one. Number two, much maligned Japanese publisher Konami which has a storied history in games going back four decades with the likes of Metal Gear, Contra, Castlevania, and more, but which has in recent years found itself a subject of derision amongst most gamers, is quietly making a comeback. 
Word comes by way of website Games Industry International, which in an interview with Konami's Richard Jones, revealed that the publisher is looking to ramp back up with Western developed games. Jones told the site in part, quote, the drive is towards publishing more titles from Western studios. So the focus for the European team, and he's European, is domestic audiences. Obviously, everyone knows Konami. We have studios and teams in Japan. We have many well-known, well-loved IP. They're all being managed and looked after by our studios in Japan. And what we're looking for is com complementary titles to build the portfolio with things that perhaps are new to Konami. Western titles for Western audiences, end quote. The first game in this initiative is an indie title called uh, Skell Attack that just came to PS4, a game made by a team of 12. But Konami isn't only looking to publish indie titles. Much like Bandai Namco, which has aggressively pursued external publishing in recent years, Konami wants to do it all. Jones continued, quote, I think the criteria we're looking for really is similar across all new IP, across, uh, regardless of size. We're in for the long haul, ellipsis. So right now, we're looking at short and midterm titles that need funding or publishing support to realize their potential, end quote. For the time being, this initiative will be based out of Europe, though Skeletac is actually an American-developed game. So this is an interesting and, un and surprising situation. Now, Bandai Namco is the closest corollary I can think to this, although Bandai Namco never really fell out of favor with anyone. They've just been much more aggressive about publishing other people's games over the last few years. That really started in a, in a way with Dark Souls, but they published, obviously, the Dark Pictures Anthology, and they're publishing other games, too. So it is interesting to see Konami kind of go in this direction. Western titles for Western audiences, he says. What do you think about this? So it looks like they're going to try to, for the time being get involved with games that are already well into development and then pay for the end, for the PR, for the marketing, all of that, but eventually get into deeper development of both indie and maybe even AAA exclusive sizing. So second party games. Yeah, I want to see how this goes for them because I want Konami to do well because that's the only route by which we're going to get more Castlevania games. And I know that that's a really short that's or a really narrow way of thinking, but I don't care about anything else with them. Metal Gear, whatever. I, 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 it's fine. Metal Gear Contra, uh, Pro Evolution, all of these things. That's, that's great. But I want them to make more Castlevania games. And the only way that's going to happen is if they find success and make money in other ways. Now, they're a very profitable co company in Japan outside of their gaming, like their core gaming division. And they've not really attempted to put many games out. Of course, Metal Gear Survive is one of those games and just a couple of others. And they did pay Sony and work with Sony to get Castlevania Requiem on PS4. But that's about as far as it went. Also, the Contra collection. But I, I need them to do well or we're not going to get Castlevania. We're not. And if you're a Silent Hill fan, and we're going to talk about that a little later, you're not going to get that either. So everyone should be pulling for Konami to get out of this rut and turn the ship around. Because otherwise, all of the great IP that they contain within their boundaries are never going to be seen again. And I don't want that. I just don't want that. So as much as I don't like Konami, I don't like what Konami has done to me in the past as far as blacklisting me. And I don't like the way they treated Kojima and all the kind of shit that went on with them. They've always been a really weird company. I think I told you this, but and, and I don't know if many people know this. So like when I was at IGN, my email address was like C Moriarty at IGN, right? Like when you have an email address at a company, it's usually like, you know, your name at Capcom.com or whatever. At Konami, the email addresses were random combinations of letters and numbers. So your your email address would be like AE753FF at Konami.com. And the reason they did that was so that they would their people would not get poached, which is the weirdest thing ever. And so when you had to email someone there, you like you had no idea how to get in touch with them. Because the email addresses would change and then you had to email this PR address, this general PR address, and 
they've always functioned very strangely. And for them to come to and figure this out, I think would be great for the industry and great for their IP, their beloved IP. Konami was one of the great companies in the games industry for years. And it's too bad what's happened to them. So I'm pulling for them, Chris. Do your thing, Richard Jones. Hey, we're back. Just in case you notice anything weird with the Konami topic, Chris lost his power and so lost the last seven minutes of the podcast. So we haven't actually lost anything yet for this show, I don't think. So that was bound to happen eventually. Took over 100 episodes. But just in case you notice any weirdness there, we didn't lose very much, but we're not going to go back and re-record all of that because it was mostly me talking about that topic anyway. So instead, we'll move on to number three, which is I'm very intrigued to get your thoughts on. This is interesting news, and I didn't see many people reporting on it, so props to Kotaku for doing so. Until recent years, Swedish studio Paradox Interactive wasn't even releasing games on console, but since it's now launching games on PS4, this news is very relevant to the podcast. Paradox is now a union shop. Word comes by way of website Kotaku, which reports that Paradox and its employees are currently in negotiations over a collective bargaining agreement. And interestingly, Paradox doesn't seem to be undertaking this move with a gun to its head. In a press release, the studio said in part, quote, We're proud both as a Swedish company and a member of the games industry to add our name to the roster of companies who support unionization, end quote. Issues to be covered by the CBA include pay raises, bonuses, vacation, and more. Sweden as a country is extremely friendly to unionization, but the games industry is far less so. And as a result, other Paradox-owned studios and offices outside of Sweden won't be covered. Paradox Interactive was founded in Stockholm in 1999 and is best known for its so-called grand strategy PC games, including 2016's Stellaris, which just came to PS4 last year. Its first console game was a PS3 and PC third-person shooter called Lead and Gold, Gangs of the Wild West, though it was developed externally and launched in 2010. It didn't return to console until five years later when it launched the externally developed RPG Magicka 2 on PS4. The publisher is planning to bring both Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 and Empire of Sin to PS4 later this year. Among the studios it owns are Hardsuit Labs and Harebrained Schemes. So I'm interested, Chris, what do you think of this, this move in an industry that has been pretty staunchly against unionization? Paradox, which is a huge entity. Yeah has voluntarily unionized their shop. What do you make of it? Uh, I mean, business has changed, I guess. We were just talking about this. Now, <laughs> I guess, like, you know, I don't really see anything that surprising, if I'm being real. I feel like this is something that's been a topic of conversation a lot in games media, and I feel like of all the things... Of all of the entities to do it, it would it would make sense to me that something in Sweden would do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's not a huge surprise. Europe is just generally much more friendly to CBAs and to unions. Now, I have no problem with private sector unions at all existing. I just always want to warn people about the result of unionizing the gaming industry, which is a stifling, possible stifling of creativity and the raising of pricing for games. So there is going to be a consequence to it. But the developers and publishers involved have no problem with it. it seems like no one put a gun to their head over this it's not like one it's not like they're forcing them to do this so i have no problem with it and i think it's good for the worker which is awesome it is unfortunate because as i said paradox owns other developers outside of sweden hardsuit labs and harebrained schemes are both in washington state and they're not going to be covered by this so it is a little shitty that the Paradox family isn't unionizing all at once. So there are now haves and have nots. Right. But they did say to Kotaku that they're open to negotiating with their other studios as well. 
So I wanted to bring that up because I think it's pretty relevant news. There are still not very many union shops. There are even fewer uh, employee run or employee owned shops in the gaming industry, which is really different than movies and TV and music, where it's just quite, quite a bit more progressive in that way. Now, I will be interested to see if there's any pushback about this. I'll be interested to see who falls next. And as I said, it doesn't seem like this is happening to American studios. So uh, if it if it migrates to hard suit labs and harebrained schemes, then the ball will be in play in the United States because now American game developers will be competing with unionized shops to retain talent. And if you're a worker, you're obviously going to want to go to hard suit labs it, it, since they're going to give you CBA protections and yeah. all that. So that's when I think things will ratchet up. But I did want to acknowledge uh, Paradox's move here and their move into publishing on PlayStation 4, which I think is really cool. I totally forgot about that lead and gold game. <laughs> yeah, not very good. Not very good. Number four, beloved action RPG Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning is coming to PlayStation 4 via publisher THQ Nordic, according to a post from long dormant official Twitter account for the game. It will include all of the game's DLC and quote unquote refined gameplay, though a release date hasn't yet been noted, although it's rumored for August. Reckoning originally came to PS3 via publisher Electronic Arts back in early 2012, and it sold extremely well much better than EA had anticipated. However, the game was victimized by woefully inadequate management at developer 38 Studios, founded by MLB pitching legend Kurt Schilling, and the studio went belly up the same year the game the game launched. The studio was run out of Rhode Island, which is virtually unheard of, and was funded partially by a substantial investment and loans from the state, and the team melted down over a matter of days, declaring bankruptcy in May of 2012, only four months after the game came out. An MMO based on the Amalur universe was under development called Project Copernicus, but it obviously never saw the light of day and is the primary culprit of 38 Studios' money issues. THQ Nordic acquired the rights to the IP in 2018, valuable IP considering the lore was written by R.A. Salvatore, a famous fantasy and sci-fi author, and the re-release of the game is called Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning, which I hate. I hate that's, that that's really bad. It's a terrible name, but this is good news. Everyone's been kind of hoping for this since THQ Nordic did acquire the IP, and... I remember when this happened, when this meltdown happened, because I knew people working there and it's at 38 Studios. And people will recall that what ended up happening is that the first and I don't know if you remember this, but the first sign that something was wrong there was an employee at 38 went to his wife, went to their doctor because she was pregnant and, it, and her insurance was getting denied. And that was the first sign that they were in mo- They had money trouble. And then literally days later, they were done. It, it all it all kind of melted down. Now, a couple of people I knew worked there were talking me, to me behind the scenes. And I'm pretty sure I wrote about this, wrote some stories from sources when I was at IGN. But it was really sad because they had all of the makings of like being a, the next great American studio. Yeah. And they sold really well. They worked with EA. I reviewed Reckoning at IGN. I gave it a nine. I think I fucking loved it. I thought it was a great game. I'm really excited to play it again. And Kurt Schilling had a lot of bona fides because not only is he a, a legendary pitcher in the MLB, but he is a legend in New England and he's a really well-known gamer. He's much more controversial now, which I'm curious if any of that kind of leaks out or seeps out, I guess I should say, because he's like a very far right voice. Oh, really? And yeah. And and now the studio and the the world was just different eight years ago. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that starts to seep out a little bit now and and ruins any of this. But he has nothing to do with it, obviously. In fact, I think Kurt Schilling like went bankrupt. Or oh, lost shit. all of his money. He came back because he's on like, or he was on MLB tonight and stuff. So he's still rich, but yeah, he lost like everything. I think in this meltdown, 
But it's a shame because basically what happened was Project Copernicus was like this game that they really wanted to make in the Amalur universe. And they were basically dumping all of their money into it. So they just mismanaged their funds because I think EA basically gave them a lump sum plus bonuses. So it wasn't enough to cover their their costs. And people could read about this, but like the state of Rhode Island went after them itself because they basically gave them loans to run. I think they were running out of Providence. So... Or maybe it was uh, Pawtucket. Oh, yeah, I remember this. I, re- I remember this exact story. Yeah. So I met Ari Salvatore once for something Amalur related. Really nice guy. Obviously, his name being attached to this game was huge. Kurt Schilling's name being attached to it was huge. The game did do really well. And it's coming back in the form of Re-Reckoning. I never played the DLC, so I'll be excited to hear about that. But there is a question that I think is pretty relevant here from Jared, mm-hmm. who wrote to us on Patreon. He says, hey, y'all, the latest news, and he's talking about Tony Hawk, but this actually goes here, too. Because the uh, term here is used, and I said, quote unquote, refined gameplay. So it says, hey, y'all, the latest news on Tony of Tony Hawk Pro Skater getting a remake has me pretty darn excited, but also curious how they're making upgrades to the original game. These upgrades usually come in the form of visual overhauls, but what about gameplay? My question is, do you think studios should make gameplay changes to original titles in the attempt of making it better than before? If so, to what extent should gameplay be touched and updated to modern standards? As someone who has worked on a remake in the past, I always felt touching gameplay could impact the feel or charm of a game for the player, whereas updating UI elements and environments may be less intrusive to capturing the feel of the original title. While Final Fantasy VII managed to pull this off, I feel in most cases it's a riskier move to change original gameplay for a developer when remaking a game. So what do you think about this whole idea? I'm, I'm curious what they mean, THQ Nordic means about refined gameplay, but what do you th- what do you, how do you feel about going back and doing more than just retouching a game's graphics? I think there's a level of acceptability where there are titles that are maybe a little bit jankier and a little bit held back that could stand to be improved. I think Resident Evil 2 Remake is kind of a a pretty excellent example of a a remake that's done really, really well uh, at kind of keeping the feel of the janky gameplay intact without actually making the gameplay janky obviously like resident evil 2 remake is a slow kind of tense horrifying slog and i think that they both kind of achieve that feeling but when you're talking about something that's a little bit more that's a little bit more gameplay focused something like crash team racing that is a game that is so beloved specifically because of the quirks in its gameplay and specifically because of its gameplay that I don't think you want to touch that that gameplay at all. I, I think the safest bet is to just touch up the paint, you know, touch up the visuals, boost the resolution, boost the frame rate, and that's it when you're talking about stuff like, like Crash Team Racing or even uh, if we're getting into some anniversary titles like Fable Anniversary or like Halo 2 Anniversary on like the Xbox side of things. Those are games that are specifically loved because of the the weird quirks with their gameplay system. So ideally you really don't want to touch those things. Final Fantasy seven remake is a little bit different because it's, it's a total remake. It's like a complete reimagining uh, of that game. So I think it's a little bit more acceptable if you're going to market it in such a way, but yeah, I, I, I do think when you change fundamental parts of the gameplay for old games, especially to make them better, it does impact the charm of those earlier titles. For sure. I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense that like Final Fantasy VII Remake is a, is a remake. So do whatever you want to it. I think the Tony Hawk games are remakes, too. So I think that that's a difference as well. Otherwise, I agree with you. It, it, Kingdoms of Amalur is not going to be a remake. It's going to be just a re-release with all the bundled DLC and everything. So that's what you need to do. You need to stabilize and boost the frame rate, 
fix the the resolutions and stuff. I don't know that that game was really good. Did you ever play Reckoning? No, I never. I never played any of the Kingdom Kingdoms of Amalur stuff. Well, there's only there's only one game that ever actually came out. So right. that was the, the the big part of the problem. They had wanted to do much more, and never got a chance to do it, unfortunately. And they were farming some of that stuff out at the time too. So I just wondered, there was another one. Did they market the other one? Did they did they actually have like trailers and stuff? I don't think so. I think uh, let me look here, uh, King, because I could be wrong. Kingdoms of Amalur wiki. Well, I've, I've never I, I've never played it anyway, but like I, I was. Curious. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking to make sure I'm. I know everything almost, but not quite everything. <laughs> no. So like I said, uh, Codename Copernicus was the MMO that was supposed to be tied into it. Right. Big Huge Games was working. Big Huge Games still exists, I think, but they were working on an RPG in the in that realm as well. I think they ended up helping finish the game. Big Huge Games is a studio that worked on like the Rise of Nations games and whatnot. So... There was a few things in play, but only one of them actually came out or got anywhere close to coming out. Oh, and this here's on the Wikipedia. I remember there's an online pass. So that was during that era when you needed like an online pass day one DLC. Oh, yeah. 2012 was a wild time. Yeah. Downloadable content. The Legend of Dead Kel, Teeth of Naros. So those will both be wrapped in. A sequel was in pre-development. So here it is. A sequel was in pre-development according to Inside Developer, but the company filed for bankruptcy. So, yeah. Oh, as well as the series from. Oh, weird. Okay. Oh yeah, Lincoln Chafee was all in on this. Do you remember Lincoln Chafee? No. He was Lincoln Chafee was the governor of Rhode Island, but he was the guy that weird <laughs> guy that ran. He was the weird guy that ran for president in 2016 in the Democratic primary. And there was that famous SNL skit where it's like you know goodbye forever America or whatever, and it was just him waving. Oh no my one god! Ever I don't remember anything. this at all. It, 2016 feels like a completely different universe. It was. It was a completely different universe. All right, Chris, now there is a couple of racing games to talk about here. So tune out if you want. But this is for our racing game fans. Sure, sure. Number five racing game Project Cars 3 has been revealed after kind of sort of being announced in 2018. Project Cars is a series led by British studio Slightly Mad. And as the name suggests, it is the third game in the franchise. As you may recall, the original Project Cars came to PS4 in 2015 with its sequel following on PS4 in 2017. However, since then, Slightly Mad has gone from working with publisher Bandai Namco on the series to being purchased outright by publisher Codemasters, which will naturally be funding and publishing this game. As was the case with the first two titles, Project Cars 3 will be a racing sim, not an arcade game, and will continue its tradition of open world racing. Better yet, its release window is shockingly soon. You can look for it on PlayStation 4 this summer. Oh, poor, poor Bandai Namco. Yeah. Losing out. And uh, number six, speaking of Codemasters. The publisher has reacquired the rights to launch video games for the very popular FIA World Rally Championship, though it won't publish its first WRC game until 2023. Its deal with the racing enterprise runs through 2027. This is notable news because WRC games sell well, but have also bounced between publishers and developers since the first game came to PlayStation 2 in 2001. At the time, the WRC series was a PlayStation exclusive, being developed by now-shuttered studio Evolution, which was purchased by Sony after its run of WRC games ended in 2005. The series picked back up in 2010 and ran through 2013 as led by a studio called Milestone, where it came to both PS3 and PS or PS3 and Vita. I'm sorry, depending on the year, a studio called Clayton picked up the ball from there and is still running with it under the direction of publisher Big Ben Interactive with WRC nine coming to PS4 and PS5 later this year. People forget that WRC was a PlayStation exclusive game published by Sony for a while. So this has bounced around a lot. And then when Evolution was purchased, they never made another one. Then they made Motorstorm and Drive Club, obviously. So weird. So 
Uh, Codemasters is getting all involved, obviously, with the racing games, which is where their heart and soul rests. So a couple of big pieces of news for them moving forward. Number seven, there are a couple of event delays above and beyond the delay of Sony's PlayStation 5 event. For starters, Polish developer CD Projekt, the team behind the Witcher game series and the upcoming RPG Cyberpunk 2077, revealed that its cyberpunk event called Night City Wire has been moved to June 25th out of respect for the current protests in America. Website Games Radar is conducting an event called Future Game Show that's also been delayed, this one to June 13th, also due to the protests. Likewise, some game content has been delayed due to the events in America, too. Call of Duty has delayed content launches for both Modern Warfare and Warzone, and EA has also delayed the full reveal of Madden NFL 21, the first sports game revealed for PlayStation 5, and it's unclear when the publisher plans to show it off. So nothing too surprising there. Yeah, I, I didn't even know there was a cyberpunk event planned at all. So yeah, yeah. So I guess we'll learn. I don't really need to be sold anymore. I'm not really that excited about it. I've been saying that, but yeah, it looks great, but I'm not. I don't know. I'll play it when it comes out. I'm not going to get too excited about it. I got to get through The Last of Us and Ghost of Tsushima hype first. Yeah, exactly. And then I'll worry about everything on the other side. Number eight, though Death Stranding sales appear to be somewhat soft for a AAA PS4 exclusive and for a Hideo Kojima game, word from the man himself seems to indicate that the game has recouped its development costs and that it's published and that and that's before I'm sorry it even came to PC. Indeed, according to Japanese website Live Door, as relayed by website Push Square, the game is now running a profit some seven months or so out from launch. And better yet, Kojima notes that his Japanese team is writing itself for its next development endeavor, though it remains unknown if the studio will be striking out on its own, working with another publisher, or sticking with Sony. Whatever the game is, however, it's only in pre-production. For what it's worth, however, Kojima does outright deny any Silent Hill-related rumors that include him. Death Stranding, which launched in November of 2019, was built on Sony's proprietary Decima engine, and it was funded by Sony, though it's technically a second-party console exclusive. It's due to come to PC in July. It was the reformed Kojima Productions' first game, which itself struck off from Konami following the launch of Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain in 2015. There's more to this story, though, Chris, because Siren Curran wrote into us, said, what's up, my dudes? Hope you guys are doing well. What do you guys think of the news about Kojima's last project being canceled? He insists Death Stranding was a financial success, but do you think developers are skeptical, I think you mean publishers, about whether he would make something just as niche and alienate potential customers? Just curious of your thoughts. I would have expected devs to be, and again, publishers, to be jumping at the chance to work with him. Hope you guys are staying safe all the way from Ireland. So, the piece of the news that I left out of this mm-hmm. was that he asked uh, or he was asked about what he's working on. And he said to Live Door, quote, recently, a major project of mine got canceled. So I'm pretty pissed. But the game that but that's the games industry for you. Huh. Quote. So what do you think? I feel like. If I'm reading the tea leaves, I feel like Sony canceled the Death Stranding sequel. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's what it seems like. Either they canceled the, the Death Stranding sequel sequel or they canceled Kojima's next project out of fear that maybe his next project won't sell well because Death Stranding didn't sell super well. Uh, I actually don't think he's he was going to make a Death Stranding sequel. Hmm. But I would hope not. But yeah, yeah, because Kojima has this history of just being like, this is the last one, and then like people kind of make him continue things. So like I would imagine that he was like, yeah, this is fine. I'm 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 good. And then he was probably planning something else that was probably equally forward thinking and insane. And they were like, listen, uh, we, we gave you this one. That, that's about that's about it. Yeah, it's a little surprising that anything would get canceled on him outside of Sony because you think people would be anxious to work with him. And so I, I, that's me. Maybe you're right. Maybe he was going to make something else for them and it got canceled. If that's true, then that, that probably doesn't speak very well for his next game being a console exclusive for Sony. I think Sony never has still never talked about Death Stranding sales. 
Yeah, not, that's not a good sign. I mean, they talk re- readily about everything if it sells well. But when you when they're silent about games like Dreams, when they're silent about Concrete Genie, when they're silent about Death Stranding, it's not a good sign because they're not silent about God of War. They're not silent about Horizon or whatever. Yeah, or Uncharted Man or any of that. Yeah, right. So I, I don't necessarily think it, it like crashed and burned, but I don't think it's a, a great sign for them moving forward. So I'll be interested to see what he comes up with. And I'll be eagerly paying attention. Yeah. Number nine, French studio Don't Nod, the best the team best known for its Life is Strange games, has sneakily opened a Canadian branch, according to a press release. The release says in part, quote, our goal is to create video games as close as possible to our community's expectations. With this new international team, we will be able to envision even more ambitious titles and keep writing wonderful stories for our players, end quote. While Don't Nod's Paris based studio will remain its HQ, it's current. It's currently hiring. I'm sorry, I can't read right now and looking to scale up dramatically in Montreal. It remains to be seen, however, what the team may be working on there. Don't Nod was founded in France in 2008, and its first game, the action title Remember Me, came to PS3 and elsewhere, published by Capcom. Remember Me was actually supposed to be a PlayStation 3 exclusive before being abandoned by Sony. That game came out in 2013. It followed that game up with 2015's surprise hit Life is Strange, a story-driven game available on both PS3 and PS4. Its sequel came to PS4 in 2018. In 2018, Don't Nod also launched the vampire RPG Vampire, and later this year, it's looking to release both the episodic adventure game Twin Mirror, published by Bandai Namco, and the Xbox and PC exclusive adventure game Tell Me Why, which is being published by Microsoft. I got to say, it's weird because I've not played any of their games except for Remember Me, which is not like anything else they've made. So, uh, but people might recall that Sony did talk, or I think it was Shuhei Yoshida that admitted that Remember Me was actually being funded in, by, by Sony. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, and they walked away from it during development. They didn't want it anymore. That's kind of insane. so. Yeah, so it's interesting. I thought it was pretty good. It's definitely a very story-driven action game. I thought it was it was very stylish. But I've never played Life is Strange. I've heard great things about it, though. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a Telltale kind of ish game. It's not bad. It's just a little uh, a little weird. Like the writing with games like that, the writing really always sticks out because you're either gonna love it or hate it. It's kind of like Borderlands, where like you either love the the writing in Borderlands or you really can't stand it feel like it's similar with uh, Don't Nod. Yeah, for sure. Number 10. One of the few Vita games that still has somewhat of an active multiplayer suite is Killzone Mercenary, which is why it came as a surprise when last weekend, the online service for the game randomly went down for an elongated period of time, suggesting the court was silently cut. This caused much chatter and consternation amongst the Vita faithful, but it appears it was just a glitch. Sony has a tradition of announcing permanent online shutdowns for even obscure games on its decommissioned server's website, which is why this was extra surprising, but just as the outage was unexplained, so too was it surprising when the game came back to life earlier this week. Killzone Mercenary came exclusively to Vita back in late 2013 and is widely considered one of the handheld's best games, and undoubtedly its best FPS. It was developed by Guerrilla Cambridge, formerly known as Sony Cambridge, which afterwards developed rigs for PSVR before shutting down. This was making the rounds a lot. I'm sure you didn't see it because you're not a Vita guy, but this was like making a lot of people really upset. <laughs> and uh, But it, it was not true. So don't worry if anyone saw this. It's back up and people are playing it. I can't believe people still play it. It's actually amazing that people are still playing multiplayer FPS on a, on a handheld. Yeah, it's, I, I, was, I was playing Mercenary, as people might recall, just again. I hadn't played it since it came out. I was playing it again, I don't know, a couple months ago. And I, I did jump online for just a, a few minutes. And yeah, people are there. They're playing it. So it's pretty interesting. That game is awesome. It's a really, really great game. In case anyone's uh, interested in playing it, checking it out on their Vitas. We promised we would be more notable. Uh, pay more attention rather to the PlayStation Now. So number 11, if you huh. have a PlayStation Now subscription, 
A few great games are hitting the streaming service this month. The biggest of the batch is Metro Exodus, 4A Games' dystopian FPS that first came to PS4 in February of 2019. Exodus is the third Metro video game following 2010's Metro 2033 and 2013's Metro Last Light, and is based upon Dmitry Glukovsky's series of Russian-language post-apocalyptic novels. Next up on the list is Dishonored 2, the second game in Arcane Studios' Dishonored stealth action games, or series. rather. The original Dishonored launched in 2012 on PS3, while the sequel came to PS4 in 2016. And finally, if you're in the mood for a racing game, NASCAR Heat 4 will also come to the service. The game was developed by NASCAR-centric game dev 704 Games and came to PS4 not even a year ago in September of 2019. PS Now costs $9.99 per month, $24.99 for three months, or $59.99 for a year, and the list of games on the service spanning PS2, PS3, and PS4 goes nearly 1,000 titles. While PS3 games must be streamed, PS2 and PS4 games like these can be downloaded and played offline. Good, 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 good. Yazid Alraji wrote in and said, Hi, Colin and Chris. Last week, you talked about how AAA games should have one-hour demos to get a, free, a feel of the game. How would you feel about this feature being introduced next-gen via streaming? I've been playing games on PS Now recently, and I'm surprised at how fluid the experience is. It'd be cool for next-gen to implement the trial feature, where if you find a game on the PSN store and you're interested in it, you'd be able to launch a demo of it instantly, perhaps as an additional feature of PS Now or PS Plus. What do you guys think? Thanks for the great work and keep making Fridays. We will. I love this idea. What do you think of this? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think it's what I was. I actually mentioned this, I think, a little bit last week, if, if not, maybe I didn't. But I've always kind of thought about this idea of just like, you know, streaming should be kind of a supplementary experience. It should be kind of a, a way for you to conveniently try games that you just don't want to put the time into downloading. And if you're going to download a demo, you know, chances are you're probably downloading. You know, it, it used to be you just downloaded the, the, the full game with like a with like a what is it? with like a wall placed into it and whenever you would pay for the game that uh that wall would go away but i think this is a great kind of compromise where you could be like hey you know what yeah let me let me launch into reddit redemption 3 instantaneously and see how i like it and oops i've only got an hour all right that's 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 a good idea i like it it i feel like it should have been a thing already honestly yeah, I think that they just have to wrap their minds. We talked about this last week, which is why I wrote in. And I think that they have to start wrapping their minds around this. It's important, especially when your competitor in, in Steam basically gives people de facto demos of everything, like yeah. literally every game. So I am anxious to see how this turns out. But uh, I, I think he, I think his idea is is a good one. Yeah. Maybe use PS Now as some sort of conduit for instantaneous streaming. You can sell the service. It can be a PS Plus feature. And someone else did write in, and I forgot that PS Plus was doing very limited demos of games like Infamous 2 when PS Plus launched. So this was all part of the idea. And as I said, like PS4 was definitely marketed as a game that was going to have shit ton of demos, and it doesn't. So yeah. like Iron Man VR coming as a demo was really surprising and a nice surprise. Yeah, no, totally. I, I honestly, yeah, should PS PS Plus should just give you demos. But I mean, this is definitely like a nice way to involve, you know, the millions of dollars spent on Gaikai into something that actually tangibly affects the platform beyond just being able to stream things from a long time ago. Yeah, that would be nice for them to uh, to figure that out. All right, Chris, number 12 is a wrap up. All righty. Website Gamatsu reports that strategy game Kingdom Majestic has been delayed and will now come to PS4 on July 14th. That action RPG Tower of Time comes to PS4 on June 23rd. That old school side scroller Clockwork Aquario is coming to PS4 later in 2020. That's an interesting one because that's actually a canceled game that never came out from 1992. Uh, oh, yeah, which I, I love. There's a few of those kind of examples now, which is kind of neat. That a leak on Xbox Live seems to indicate that Namco Museum Archives Volumes 1 and 2 are coming to PS4 likely on June 18th. Oh, wow. 
That puzzle game Fogues has been delayed and won't come to PS4 until later in 2020. That Space Sim Elite Dangerous is getting an expansion called Odyssey that will come to PS4 in 2021. That slick-looking strategy RPG Banner of the Maid is coming to PS4 later in 2020. That game also looks awesome. It takes place in the French Revolution. That survival horror game, The Coma 2 Vicious Sisters, is coming to PS4 on June 19th. That visual novel, Milky Way Prince, The Vampire Star, is coming to PS4 later in 2020. That Metroidvania Outbuddies DX is coming to PS4 later in 2020. And that visual novel, Death End Request 2, is coming to PS4 later this summer. The PlayStation blog reports that puzzle game Evans Remains comes to PS4 in the coming days on June 11th. As we mentioned a week ago, uh, a week or two ago, Bioshock, Bioshock 2 and Bioshock Infinite have all been released on PS4 a la carte, meaning you don't have to buy 2016's Bioshock collection as a package to play them. Do keep in mind that the trophy list stack uh, doesn't stack rather in the US, it stacks in the UK. So it depends on where you are. I was really disappointed in that, by the way. A game called Prey VR has been nebulously listed on UK online retailer shop two and has since been taken down. It appears to be a VR enabled version of Arcane Studios 2017 game Prey, although that remains to be seen. Website IGN reports that a game based on the children horror book called Goosebumps, a uh, series Goosebumps called Dead of Night will be coming to PS4 later this summer. And finally, Chris, this one's for you. Website Variety confirms what we already kind of knew. The Sonic the Hedgehog movie launched earlier this year to surprise commercial success is getting a sequel. Well, thank God for that. Thank Christ. Now, this is the time when we usually get into the new game releases, but there is no drop on PlayStation blog this week. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I, I think that so they announced recently the PlayStation blog was going to unify all of the territories into one blog. So they used to have a European one and like a Spanish one and whatever and a Brazilian one, whatever. They're all going to fold in now. And so I don't know if this means the drop just goes away forever or if they just forgot about it or if they're trying to figure that out. But there is no drop this week. So mm. when they bring it back, we'll do this segment again. If they don't bring it back, then games are going to sell even worse on PSN. So my, my hope is that they do bring it back, but there are no games to read this week maybe it's a maybe it's a protest thing you know maybe it's one of those things where it's like ah maybe we shouldn't put a drop out oh yeah oh or maybe yeah, just no games good... are releasing in general because of because of this that that's true skell attack i think came out the konami game yeah yeah but i don't i don't i don't know you might be right yeah i don't know i don't know what the fuck you I'm might saying. be right i didn't even think of that about that to be perfectly honest with you all right Chris, it's time to get into reader mail. As tradition dictates, it's time to get into six questions, comments, concerns, and thoughts and ideas from the audience to wrap things up. But we actually have a seventh this week because Onificate wrote in and said, what's up, my deuterinos? New patron, longtime listener. Welcome and thank you. I just have a simple question about the show itself. When it began, it was custom to answer 10 questions and comments. Then it was eight. Now it's six. I'm just curious as to why the change. Is it just to keep the show a certain length? Thanks. So people have asked this question before, and I don't remember it ever being 10, but you could be right. I think it was eight at some point, and then I just truncated it to six at some point. I don't know why. I will say that I think you're lucky that I can even remember when I'm supposed to do this show at all <laughs> at this point. My brain is so fucked up. So, yeah, I know it, was, it's, it has nothing to do with the length of the show because the show will always be as long as it needs to be. Yeah. But I think ending with six is good. I think it was eight in the beginning. Was it ever ten? I don't think it was ten. I don't think it was ever ten. Like, I don't remember. On that. this show? Yeah, I don't think so. I, yeah, I, I don't think it was ever ten. 10 I, I think it was kind of a nebulous number maybe in the beginning and then like around six to eight like generally uh but I, I don't think it was ever 10 yeah i don't know maybe maybe in the very 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 beginning when we just we're just getting started listen donald trump was impeached four months ago the first episode of this show might as well have happened in the 18th century yeah, yeah, I have no idea <laughs> what we were doing in the beginning of this show. Yeah, COVID, COVID's been ravaging the world for, I think, about 10 years now. Kind of wild. 
this year is so long. It's it, it's insane. I feel I feel like I've already watched my daughter get married. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! All right, let's get into it. Jesse Reimer wrote in and said, "Hey fellas, what is a series that is a favorite of yours that isn't often in the hearts and minds of other gamers?" I personally adore the Army of Two series. It's just dumb, mindless fun and reminds me of better times. Thanks. Thank you guys for what you do. I'm getting a call here, so let's see who it is. Oh. Hello? Hello? Hi, is this Colin? Yes. Hi, Colin. This is Bradley with Wawa about your uh, Uber Eats order. Yeah, how are you? Unfortunately, we don't have mashed potatoes for the mashed potato bowl. Oh, <laughs> bummer. We do have macaroni and cheese that we can substitute for it if you'd like. Yeah, let's do that. That would be great. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> all right wholesome very good i appreciated that that guy seemed polite he was very polite i was afraid that it was someone maybe gonna be mean to me or like really <laughs> ruin my or ruin my day and say like oh well we have nothing you ordered and all you can get is a box of, of tomatoes yeah the, turns out uh, hey i just got to the wawa uh it's in ruins <laughs> 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 it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's gone. All right. So J- Jesse said it's dumb. My is funny. So he's talking about Army of Two. He asks about a favorite series of ours that oft- isn't often in the hearts and minds of other gamers. Do you have any answer for this, Kristen? Honestly, for years, my answer would have changed every year for the past like three years, if I'm being real, because it seems like all the shit that I love just gets remade anyway. And I feel like it, it's at that point where they've pretty much got everything. I, I, I have a really soft spot for the Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver, which is a very specific game on the PlayStation 1 that not really many people talk about. But there are rumblings that there could possibly be a resurgence. But that's that's one that I, I, I really genuinely adore. That's the first one that came to mind because I would have said Crash Team Racing years ago, you know, because that's not something that anybody talks about. But right. now but now it's a thing. So it is a thing. Who knows? It is a thing. So I wanted to say that I love this this notion of Army of Two because I really liked the first Army of Two game a lot. Yeah. The the first Army of Two came out in 2008. It was a PS3 and Xbox 360 game on Unreal 3. It had a sequel called The uh, uh, the 40th Day, which came out in 2010. And then it had a third game called The uh, Devil's Cartel. The first two games were on Unreal 3. The uh, Devil's Cartel is actually on Frostbite. I never played the second two. The first two were made by EA Montreal. The third one was made by, as people might recall, Visceral made that game. And so Army of Two is actually a really good answer. I, I dug that game. I played it by myself. It is a game meant to be played with another player if you want to. Yeah. But that's a really good answer. I wrote the strategy guide for the first one. I was a little surprised that Army of Two never came back. But maybe it will. I don't know what the story is there. I don't think it probably sold very well. Yeah, probably. It, it probably. I know this as somebody who played it back in the day. I remember thinking like, this is a very weird Gears of War. You know, it it it, yeah, felt, it, was. it felt it was. like that kind of a game. I liked the the back to back mechanic, even though it was like really stupid <laughs> and just beyond irresponsible. But yeah, that was, that was a fun. What the fuck is that? Do you hear this knocking? No. You having a Yo, what the hell? You having a stroke? <laughs> it sounds like a like a hollow woodpecker headbutting a, a like a like a PVC pipe. What the fuck is mm. that? Okay, I guess it's over. Anyway, Army of Two <laughs> is cool. <laughs> anyway, I like Army. So I'm I'm reading the Wikipedia page for Army of Two 3. 
And the game only sold 260,000 copies. Oh, that's not ideal. That's not it's horrible. Yeah, it's not great. It said it came out the same month as Tomb Raider, like the original Tomb Raider reboot and Bioshock Infinite. So that certainly yeah, it's didn't not- help. And it also has a Metacritic score of 54. Oh, cool. So that's uh, over half. <laughs> <laughs> Just barely over half. The answer I want to throw out there is Naughty Bear, which I've talked about before. Oh, yeah. I really loved the idea of that game. It's too bad that it didn't work out better for i mean the game wasn't very well made it's just like it it ran like shit especially on ps3 yeah but i really did dig the the idea of there being like a a murderous jealous teddy bear that's like being alienated by people you know or alienated by his other bears i liked when you i feel like there's a distinct lack of comedy games you know what i mean like, we don't see really any of that anymore. We used to get, like, a slew of them every now and again. Like, we had Death Spank and, like, uh, and Naughty Bear and just, like, really weird, to, like, Eat Lead. <laughs> the, the, oh, yeah. The Max Hazard. Ma- Max Hazard. Just, yeah. like, you had, like, a lot of just, like, games that were trying to be airplane. And even though none of them were particularly great, there was something kind of cool about the fact that they were real. And, uh... I feel like it, it added a bit of variety to the to the store and, and just in general, just to the, the ecosystem. Yeah, I totally agree with you. They did. They did make a sequel. So that game came out in 2010. They made a sequel, Panic in Paradise, which came out in 2012. It was a downloadable only game. Yeah. That I think was like more of an expansion or a reimagining of the original game. It was published by 505, but people might remember that it was a, a behavior interactive uh, game. That, which were, at the time, actually, they were known as Artificial Mind and Movement, which is a much better name. I don't know why they... They went down that road. Yeah. But I don't know if they exist anymore. Oh, they do, actually, because they, they're the guys that made Fallout Shelter. Oh, yeah. And then and then remember, they were sued by Bethesda. What? I didn't know that. They, they, they released a game with another publisher that was like just like Fallout Shelter, and it had Fallout Shelter's code in it. Oh, that's fucked. And all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's pretty wild. Yeah. So I don't know if they I don't know if they're hanging on or what. But. I think uh, I think Eat Lead actually got a sequel, too. It was like a, a side scroller sequel called max hazards bloodbath and beyond right yeah i remember i I think i do remember that yeah no you're right it did it did get a sequel i miss that weird uh that weird experimental double a era me too me too yeah i I didn't hate the eat lead game i played most of it yeah it wasn't i'd have to look at my trophies to see how far i got i don't think i beat it i actually did beat it because it was funny it was definitely not a game that i would ever really i'm actually curious you know what i might actually jump onto it again i'm curious about that yeah, download it. Why not? Jason Green wrote into us and said, hey, boys, hope you're staying safe out there. Do you guys think that The Last of Us 2 will get delayed again? This thought popped into my head after the PS5 event was just delayed. I sure hope not. Just curious as to what you guys think. And then he asked how things are going. We already talked about that in the beginning of the show. But no, there's no way The Last of Us 2 is getting delayed. Can you Jason. fucking imagine? There, it, well, the <laughs> game is already in people's hands. It's not on. Uh, it's not unheard of to delay a game that's already in reviewers' hands. I, I, as I've said before, EA uh, delayed Godfather Two like six months after I already had it when I was at IGN. But and Killzone, I think Killzone Two was delayed or something like that, or Killzone Three, one of those, and I had that game like four months early. But that's not going to happen to The Last of Us Part Two. I mean, I think even Corey Barlog uh, at Sony Santa Monica tweeted out a picture of him with like a hard copy of the game. Yeah. And the we're recording this on June 4th. So this will go live June 5th on Patreon. So the day that episode 102 goes live on Patreon will be when the embargo lifts. So there's no way this game's getting delayed. It's coming out 
and there's nothing to fear. June uh, June 6th, 2020, Neil Druckmann uh, posts on his Twitter account. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Last of Us 2 is canceled. You know, we uh, the first one, we should have left it the first one. Sorry, guys. And that's it. <laughs> you just you, you did- shouldn't have you shouldn't have talked so much shit about lesbians. <laughs> and now you're never going to get it. <laughs> it's I made this multi-million dollar game for me and my friends only. <laughs> yeah, like a hundred and fifty million dollar game or whatever. We haven't heard from our friend Turd Ferguson in a while, so let's hear from him. Oh yeah. He says, Hey guys, do you think it would be a good idea for Sony to try to acquire Bioware? Yes, I know they are owned already, but so is FromSoft, and that's never stopped anyone from bringing them up in acquisition rumors, so hear me out. Bioware has a pedigree in fantasy and sci-fi WRPGs, something that's sorely lacking in Sony's portfolio. It would be a nice counter move to Microsoft's acquisition of Obsidian. It's a good buy low opportunity for Sony, given that Bioware has released two duds in a row and their reputation has taken a hit. It would give the Bioware team a fresh start and morale boost. EA has never hesitated in shuttering well-known and established studios like Visceral, Maxis, Bullfrog, Criterion, etc. So what do you think? From Sony's perspective, is there any harm in picking up the phone and asking? So, turd, if you don't mind me calling you that, there, it's not unheard of. I mean, FromSoft, yeah, is owned by a... I don't like when people bring up FromSoft because they're owned by a corporate entity, but they're not owned by a publisher. But even if they were owned by a publisher, we have to remember that Rare was purchased by Microsoft from Nintendo. So it's not it's not unheard of for that to happen. Yeah, it just it, it's just not very common. From my opinion, in my opinion, there's literally no reason for them to touch Bioware. Not only do I think is EA is not going to sell them, but why would you buy Bioware and spend that money when you're not going to get any of their IP? A lot of their talent that made Mass Effect and the original Dragon Age games is gone. And they actually have a really bad reputation now. I'm not saying it's going to stay that way, but they, like you said, uh, Andromeda in 2017, Anthem last year, these games weren't well received at all. Sony would be better off buying another studio or using that money to just build one from the ground up. And I'll remind you, because you say they have a pedigree in fantasy and sci-fi WRPGs, and that's true, but now Guerrilla has a pedigree in WRPGs of the sci-fi variety as well. So I would like to get them a... I would like to have fantasy games coming out, and we're, I think we're going to get one in Demon Souls. But yeah. I don't, I don't see how this is a good buy, and I do understand the fear that EA does shut everyone down, and I don't think Bioware is immune to that, but... That's not Sony's problem. And I don't know that we would be worse. I don't want anyone to lose their jobs. I don't want to I don't want anyone to get confused about that. But if Bioware went away, I mean, what are we really losing at this point? They're, they're a shadow of what they used to be. And that happens. That just happens to teams as they come and go. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think? Do you think Sony should try to make a play for no, Bioware? No, uh, you can. You're better. Like I said, you're like you said, you're, you're probably better off just building a new team. You could probably even market that team. As like if people from old Bioware are attracted to it or if people from Bioware are attracted to go to that team, I'd rather have that and be like, hey, here's a new studio with like, you know, Bioware heads. You know, I'd rather have that than just have this kind of shell of a name, especially just because I just don't know if they really got it anymore. It seems like they're like Bethesda in a lot of ways where it's like, yeah, you're just kind of you're just kind of there, aren't you? right now and i'm yeah, sure that, i'm sure that sucks like i mean it's uh, it's not a i'm sure that's not a good feeling to you know hear that but i mean what what are we gonna lie <laughs> what are we gonna you know yeah no you're it's sad because bioware is, a, is ea's most storied studio and long before they were working with ea and it just seems like the the proof's gonna be in the pudding with dragon age and the proof's gonna be in the pudding with how they can get this anthem reboot going again 
And yeah. I think that if either, and I know that they're working out of different studios. They had the Montreal studio. They're still in Edmonton. Now they're in in uh, Austin. But I just don't know that the, Bioware has no resonance anymore. It's it's or very little resonance anymore. I'm, I'm always going to be interested in playing what they do next. Yeah, because they're Bioware and that's interesting, but it's not really Bioware. The Bioware team that made whatever you like, like Knights of the Old Republic is not the bio or Mass Effect trilogy is not really the Bioware that's working now. I'm sure there are a lot of people that do that are still there in Edmonton because there's nothing else in Edmonton. And if that's where they live, they don't have an option unless they want to move. But I understand, turd, the fear that EA is going to shut them down. I think that fear is well founded and I wouldn't be surprised if it happens if yeah. these new games don't hit. And by the way, like studios change and evolve over time and their personnel changes and cycles in and cycles out over time. And that's just that's just kind of natural. That happens. It is a pretty good example of like a studio that was like at the top of their game for a while, for like a long time. Then like in the early to late 2000s, they kind of like fell a little bit. Doom 3 wasn't a super uh, wasn't super well received. Rage wasn't super well received. And they they came back pretty well. Like id, I would argue, is making some of the best FPS that that there that you could play now. So there is possible that it's possible that a studio can turn themselves around. Like I, I fully believe that Bioware is is probably capable of that. But there's no reason to be throwing money around just yet. No, there are rumors that Sony is going to reveal a studio acquisition, which I wouldn't be surprised about. I don't know that any acquisition is going to compete with Obsidian because in that realm, because Obsidian was definitely the best free or indie RPG studio that's, I think, yeah. doing much better work than Bioware or Bethesda Game Studios the, the last five years, let's say. Not only with the Outer Worlds, but even with the South Park game. Oh, that yeah. came out before, the first one. So I just think you got to be a little bit careful about... EA might be interested in getting rid of them, but I, I don't I don't think so, just because they're also making some stuff. They're going to try to save Anthem. They're making Dragon Age, so I don't think that they're for sale. All right. Thomas Critz wrote in and said, hey, CNC. And he says, hey, like the hey, a horse eats. Oh, nice. <clears throat> I'm choking on my own uh, saliva. I look forward to listening to all of the shows each week. Thank you. I want to talk about Twisted Metal. It's one of my favorite PSIPs with Twisted Metal Black being my favorite. My question is, do you think Sony is going to do anything with the IP in the coming generation? A new game in the series? Maybe a remake? At this point, I don't care which it is. I just want to see Sweet Tooth return. Thanks for all you guys do. So if people are unaware, Twisted Metal began... Back in 1995, I got a sequel in 1996. The third and fourth games came out in 98 and 99. So a very well populated PS1 series. And then Twisted Metal Black, which is widely considered the best one, is uh, a 2001 release on PS2. The PSP game Head On came out in 2005. I think they ported it to PS2 or vice versa in 2008. And then the last time we got a new one was 2012 when Twisted Metal was rebooted on PS3. Since then, the, the series has been quiet. I really feel like, Chris, this is a series that can live again. And I don't know that you want David Jaffe involved. In it. I love David Jaffe. But I don't know if you... I don't want to say want. You probably do want him involved. I don't think you need him involved. But David Jaffe has got a lot of the secret sauce because, I mean, he was really responsible for a lot of what made God of War great in the beginning. Twisted Metal, obviously. Yeah. So he's got that that special sauce or whatever. But I don't think you necessarily need to have him involved. But... Twisted Metal seems like one of those games that could be like a really tantalizing $20 PlayStation 5 exclusive game or a free-to-play game. With multiplayer being so popular, there doesn't seem to be any vehicular combat games that really take advantage of that. What do you think? Yeah, I I wonder if we've evolved past 
the feeling of being stuck in a vehicle in a multiplayer game and that being kind of okay. Because you can you can ostensibly play Twisted Metal in like I don't know, like Grand Theft Auto online, you know? Like you could set up like a custom match probably and get in a bunch of different vehicles and just sort of have at it. Obviously there are vehicles in there's vehicular combat in like Call of Duty Warzone and stuff like that and a lot of well not a lot of some battle royales. This was before, you know, Battlefield and and Halo were mainstays where like vehicular combat was like an element of something that was greater. I wonder if just pure vehicular combat works well now or could or could survive just on the base elements that were present in the original. I would love to see to see Twisted Metal come back, but I would like to see it given like a proper rebirth, not not like um I wouldn't want to see like a like a like a remake or like just like a a crash team racing style re reboot where it's like kind of like the same gameplay with like a a little bit better uh with better paint and and better graphics and stuff. I I would like to see a proper reinvention of what vehicular arena combat could mean in a in a in the current generation. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's it's so an important component of this too, Chris. We have to say is, and we talked about this on this show, but. Last year, Sony announced that they were going to make a Twisted Metal TV show. So I don't even know how that works. I don't know how you. I don't. Do that. E- I don't either. It was like one of those PlayStation Productions things, just like the Uncharted movie, and I think others. Who knows if it's actually going to happen? But that might be a a sign of things to come. I don't really know. It, yeah, yeah. It, it would be weird to. It would be weird to talk about that IP this late at this so long after it was relevant if they weren't thinking about it. Yeah, it's also the case that the rumors are indicating that Sony is going to revive one or two old IP. I don't know if Twisted Metal is really considered an old IP because there were there was a pretty well received PS3 game. But I just feel like I don't know. I, I, I feel like this is a this is worth taking a go at. Twisted Metal just has like name recognition and it just feels a little different. Yeah, than, we were talking about all this glut of multiplayer games. To me, it just feels a little different than everything else that's going on. I'm not actually a fan of the series at all. So I'm not saying that as someone who wants to play it or will play it. Cause I won't really, but no, I don't, like, I don't not care at all. Really? Like you never, Oh, I, I have played them. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying that I won't, I won't play a new one. No, I have no interest in playing a new one. I didn't even play the PS3 one except for when I was at an event when David Jaffe, uh, I think he asked me if I had any weed. <laughs> and I think he listens to the show. So shout out to David. Oh, that's awesome. American one, two, five, seven, Wrote in and said, yo, Mario Kart 150cc, what is good? Do you, do you foresee the PS5 eventually supporting 8K resolution or even pseudo 4K resolution like on PS4 Pro? When last generation began, I don't remember 4K capability being discussed. Is 8K resolution even necessary? Will it be more than real, real life? I've only seen one 8K resolution monitor in my entire life and with my own two eyes, and it was in an Apple store. They have a, at the Apple store in Santa Monica, they have like a huge 8K monitor in the back of the, of the building, which has probably been smashed and looted since uh it's been installed <laughs> yeah i i mean it definitely looked amazing but i can't imagine how expensive it is i think 4k is probably the most I, again i'm not a technology expert but i think 4k is probably the most we can hope for but do you think we'll see 8k on ps5 i doubt that they would even be able to do that i think they i think they could i think they'll probably do it in, in a similar way that the ps4 pro does 4k resolution in in that they'll probably checkerboard it they'll do a little bit of feathering around the the finer pixels around the edges to kind of get things to look sharp and and kind of double the resolution without actually doing a lot of the the legwork necessary to make it true uh 8k 
I, I know I know it's probably going to be possible on the PS5 because I, I like I, I think I recall them saying that it's going to be possible on the Xbox going like so, somewhere in the future. So I, I, I see no reason why the PS5 wouldn't be able to do it, especially given its supposed, um, you know, advantage in the way that the SSD functions on the PlayStation 5 versus the Series X. I don't know if it's really going to matter, though, because at a certain point, like it, it's not that there's a degree that technology can improve that we won't find ways to use it. I'm sure there's plenty of useful applications for 8K, obviously, like theaters and, and, and stuff like that. But your average person, you know, doesn't have. Your average person doesn't even have a 4K TV these days, and even if they did it's not going to get much bigger than this. You know, like you, if you can squeeze 8K resolution on a monitor or a television that th- that's the same size as your 4K television, you're going to see diminishing returns. Like an 8K video playing on your phone is going to be far less impressive than an 8K video playing on a big-ass TV. And most people just don't have the screen real estate to really get the most out of 8K anyway. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I just, I don't imagine that it's going to be super prevalent I, I think 4k really is this kind of sweet spot where it's like 4k will probably be the standard that everybody's probably going to be okay with I, I mean i'm fine with 1080 honestly or just like 12 uh 144 just short of 4k i think i, I think 4k is in some cases just kind of egregiously overzealous with as far as resolution goes especially because i i'll take like 120 frames or 60 frames over 8K resolution any any fucking day of the week. Yeah, I'm with you there in the sense that I remember there being an argument when we were at IGN that people were giving some people a hard time about that were on another podcast we did there. I wasn't on it, but I remember people speaking out about it, which was that even 1080 versus 720 is hard to differentiate if, you're, if your screen is not big enough or if you're at a certain distance, which I think is true. Yeah. And so the same would be true for this too. People took real umbrage with that. I think it was Mitch Dyer that said that. And uh, I didn't really quite understand why, because that's how I understood it as well. Although I, I don't know that you should take my technological understanding as gospel. But I'm fine with 1080 as well. And maybe it's just because I've never I've never owned a 4K TV. So when I move to this my new house in, you know, a week and a half, I'm going to have a 4K TV. I'm going to go buy it this weekend. I'm going to go buy a couple of them, actually. And maybe I'll be singing a different tune. I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll find out. I mean, they, they look great. No question about it. But um. You know, I, I just feel like things already look great as, as they are. I, I just want them to run better. Like, Control looks amazing, but man, that game would have been amazing if it ran at a consistent, you know, 60 frames. The final question, Chris, comes from Mark Mills, who said, Hello, guys. Regarding your discussion about the renewal of EA's Madden license, I wanted to respond to Chris's statement that there isn't much you can do in the realm of simulation games to make them very unique since their goal is to emulate reality. While that is broadly the objective of simulation games, I disagree that there can't be a wide breadth of variety between them. Being a lifelong fan of skateboarding, the example that comes to mind would be games like EA Skate versus Indie Dev Creature Studios' upcoming game Session. That game still isn't out. While they both exist in the same genre, they're vastly different in terms of control scheme and complexity, physics, level design, and art direction. They're so different, in fact, that Session includes an alternative control scheme that emulates skates to help players ease into the game's learning curve. Not to mention how much these games both differ from Rockstar's PS1 game Thrasher, Skate, and Destroy, as old as that game is, it clearly takes a very different design philosophy than the others. Yeah, we talked about that game the other week, didn't we? I, How could I that think ca- so, yeah. Yeah, because I, I remember Thrasher being like really underwhelming to a lot of people because it was not Tony Hawk. 
How that can translate to a sport like professional football, it's hard to say, but I don't think it's so cut and dry. What do you think? Um, so, Chris, you were talking about we were talking about Madden and the goal of simulation. But I, I think I, I agree with Mark somewhat that I think you can get there in different ways. But he, it's important for him to understand that, like, he's not really talking about simulation, I don't think, is he? Because Thrasher versus Tony, I guess he's not bringing up Tony Hawk, so maybe I'm wrong. Skate is considered a really realistic game, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, Session is yeah. as well. So I guess I see what he's saying. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree, except these are more direct player like the input of whatever you're seeing on screen is like a lot more associated with the player than it is in a in a game like Madden like in a game like in a football game like Madden you're kind of overseeing a situation that's supposed to convincing to to look convincingly real but in a game like Session where like yeah physics come into play and like you know you're the person that's always going to be different because different studios can have can have different ideas of what the player character can do and and what to map certain buttons to and like how the physics engine uh, works uh, in tandem with the player and, and, and their board or, or their art style even. But even and I'll and I'll I'll be real when I when I when I say this, when I saw a session, which was teased, I think, at Microsoft's press conference, I think a while ago, right? Like like 2018, maybe? Yeah, yeah, it was a couple of years ago at least, yeah. When I saw that trailer, I thought it was Skate. I thought it was Skate until they said it wasn't. And that's kind of what I'm talking about, where it's like, even if you do have these more direct, you know, developer-player relationships like they like, like exists in, in Skate, where it's like the player's interacting with the player character... In a in a game like Madden, where it's just based on you kind of hovering over the over the field and just kind of watching a simulation play out, I feel like games like that are always going to have a hard ceiling of what they can achieve as far as a simulation goes, because they're just less they're less in the face of the player. Yeah, I don't I don't know how else to really I don't know how else to, it's really hard to um, like explain. No, I understand what you're saying. I, I you make perfect sense. I'm just thinking like. I've played a lot of football games and hockey games that were simulation, and I don't know that they were all that different from each other, really. The yeah. the, the difference comes in the arcade and inter- like so like NBA Street or NFL Street or whatever, or not NFL. I guess there was NFL Street, right? Or FIFA Street or whatever these games are that EA does that are just arcade versions. Yeah. Of their simulation games, I think that's where the real difference comes in. So I don't know. I don't know that I really disagree with what you're saying, Chris. I, I don't know that I necessarily disagree with Mark either. What, and I'm talking of what you said last week when you were saying like that the goal of simulation is to emulate reality that there is probably only one course by which that's going to be achieved in the most effective way. It's not the same thing for an acutely gamey game like. I don't know, like Call of Duty or something where there's there's a lot of different through lines through that, but I have to think about it a little more. The, the unfortunate reality, Mark, is and, and what we're saying, and I think Chris and I agree on this and you might, too is that we don't have any examples of this because everyone's getting wrapped up in exclusivity or just doesn't even try. Yeah. And so all we get is one football game, one f- baseball game, one basketball game. Although there's a little more competition there, but EA never gets their game out on time. And then there's like two soccer games that are sim games. And yeah, yeah, one is yeah. actually much more popular than the other. I think actually Konami is calling PES something else now because they're trying to get it to get more resonance again. I think so. I think really a lot of it does come down to where the camera is cuz I I feel like games that are like where the a game like uh you know StarCraft or a game like 
like a tactics game or a game like Madden, even though they're all like completely different, they're far more similar than they are to than like a game like Gears of War is to Uncharted or Uncharted is to Dead Space. There's something about like the further the camera gets from the action, the more similar those kinds of games tend to play out. Um, Obviously, there's a lot more fine design in those things. Obviously, Civilization doesn't play like Gears Tactics. They're obviously different genres or, or, you know, Madden. But there's something to be said about the the overall look of something. And in a simulation game, I, I really do feel like if you're if you're gonna go the broad, like over the over the field simulation, there's really only so much you can do. If you want to make a football simulation simulation game that's more about being the football player, then there's a ton you could do because that's not even what Madden does. So. Right. Yeah. They. Yeah. The NHL games do that a lot more with because there's just more layers of getting into the NHL with the minors and the junior leagues and yeah. stuff like that, like where you can play as a player. But that's not really the way the NFL works. So it's harder to like. And plus being a like an offensive tackle is not going to be good gameplay. It's going to suck. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's be awful. Yeah. So, so so it's something that no one would do anyway. So you're right. you're just kind of stuck in this realm of like, you know, you've just got to make this game. Well, the unfortunate reality is. We're not going to find out anytime soon because no one else yeah. is about to make an, a sim NFL game. No one is even bothering to make an NHL game outside of EA. MLB is pretty much dominated by Sony San Diego. We need more and then we'll find out. We can test this theory. Yeah. This hypothesis of ours. All right, Chris, that's all we have for this episode. Episode 101 Alrighty. of Sacred Symbols of PlayStation podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for supporting us and for supporting us on Patreon and for giving us a lot of your love and kindness, support, attention. Remember to go to patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand to financially support us if you can afford it. If not, continue to enjoy the show on free feeds and leave us nice reviews. Tell your friends and family. Yes, please. And uh, be good to each other. Be safe. Chris, you be safe. I will. Don't get robbed. I'll try not to. And uh, all right, that's it. We'll see you next week for more. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. A.G. Rowe, Adam Nix, Ahmad Tamar, Alex Cabrera, Alex Gates, Alan Trembley, an unofficial controller podcast, Andrew Parker, Anton Kay, Antti Kinnanen, Avery Lewandowski, Azan, Barrett Boswell, Bo Clant, Ben, Betty Ann Moriarty, Bjorn Campbell, Blake Israel, Bloody Fang, Boots, Brad Cooley, Brian Chan, Casual Misfits Gaming, Chad Lewis, Chris Buston, Chris Galvin, Chris Moore, Cody Bradbury, Colin Davenport, Colin Love, Connor Gashian, Corey Wyatt, Damon Weathers, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Margaka, Darren Gardner, Daryl E. Naiman, David Chestnut, David John Finnegan Wright, Don Lee, Donnie Nolan, Dylan Burns, Enrique Perez, Eric Finkenbeiner, Eric Harden, Galgia, Gamer Filmaholic, George Anthony Nunez, Gerald Pennington, Gio Corsi, Greg Julius, Gregory Slovinsky, Homeworld Hub, Hugo's Desk, Infinite, Isaac Wassman, Jason Pettit, Jackson Lastiqua, Jay Getter, Jeff Pollard, Jeremy Key, Jeremy Shook, Jerome Ferreira, Jesse Owen, Joe McPartland, Joe Finelli, John, John Scholz, John Cordero, Jonathan Reich, Jonathan H., Jorge Palomino, Josh Bushing, Josh Gravelick, Josh Yeager, Josh M., Josh McKinney, Joshua Smallwood.
Justin Wagaman, Carl Tolman, Keith A. Lewis, Kevin Komaki, Kevin R. Lord, Night Draft, Kyle Hagel, Lawrence F. Prokop, Lennon Brixie, Lewin Ray Loper, Mad Mock Media, Miranda Grubba, Mark Boggio, Marius Garson Peterson, Martin Beck, Mason Kodalak, Matt Martin, Matthew Purdue, McDog18, Megadet, Michael Gates, Michael Vecchio, Miguel A. Brewer, Mike Wayant, Morgan Ashley, Mubarak, Nathan R., Of Fortuna, Organic Produce, Patrick Carper, Patrick Kelly, Patrick Leslie, Paul Joyce, Peter Reynolds, Petro Rose, Phil Crone, Raul Melendez, Ray Lasia, Richard Heber III, Richter86, Robbie Hensley, Rodney Coleman, Ross Maranka, Ryan Murdoch, Ryan R. Kittredge, Ryan Reeves, Ryan T. Mandel, Saul Balcazar, Scott Lovelace, Sean Chandler, Sean Mason, Shane Rayum, Simon Conception Jr., SL the FMA, Spencer Brand, Stephen Nieder, Taylor Barkley, TB Lightning, Throw7, Toby Shootman, Todd Paxton, Tony Zuniga, Toothless Gibbon, Travis Plymel, Tyler Bellow, Tyler Harris, Vexius, William O'Carroll, and Zach Parsley. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.